spins a web any size. Catches seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. My name is John Wilson and with me as usual are my two friends, Donovan Grant hiya, hiya. and Joshua Bertoni. Hey! Today we are going to be talking about three very cool episodes of Spider-Man, but before we do that, I want to talk about some changes we are doing in the show's format. As you may have noticed, I did not introduce a special guest today because we did not have a fourth chair filled today. We're going to be, just because of recording constraints and those sorts of things, we may most likely not have a fourth guest or fourth host every episode. We will try to have someone special every month, assuming there is someone out there who wants to be with us to do the show. But we will probably not do it every episode now just because we're changing the way we're recording the show. So we will have some yeah, we're, we're like in the third season of the, of the podcast to where, you know, we're going back to basics, everybody. Back to when we first started out. Yeah, we're going to um, change our opening sequence and do a retooling of the theme song, and it's going to be great. No, not really. Kristen Kruick <laughs> and Michael Rosenbaum. Are I was just thinking about that, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm – John's going to jump in front of a badly CGI explosion. I'm going to save little Donovan. <laughs> so before we jump into the books, we want to talk about some feedback that we've gotten over the last few weeks. Feedback is always good. We have both an email and a comment that we want to address on our website and also an iTunes review that was left we want to acknowledge and say thanks for. So let's do those in reverse order. On iTunes, just a few days ago, as, as we're recording this, from a person whose handle is Peter's Missing Clonopin Pill, which hmm. uh, is interesting, uh, he gives us five stars, saying, Recapturing my youth. Discovered this podcast just a few weeks ago. This is required listening while driving south from Los Angeles to San Diego to attend Comic-Con. I highly recommend looking through the issue while they recap. Lee and Ditko would be proud. I, very nice to say. Thank you. Yeah, very nice to say. I, I can only dream that Stan Lee and Steve Ditko would enjoy listening to this, although as much fun I, as I we think poke. Lee would, would be proud and have fun, but Ditko would like say some sort of rant about, you know, uh, evil versus nature and like run off <laughs> screaming. We can only say that because he's probably never going to listen to the show, right? <laughs> Cut to the next episode where he's on the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Introducing our, our fourth chair for the episode, Steve Ditko. <laughs> Sorry, man. So thank you very much for uh, leaving that review. We have let, received quite a few over our first few months, and we uh, are always thirsty for more. So if you want to make us happy on a dreary, cloudy day, leave an iTunes review for Amazing Spider-Man Classics. And now we have Donovan, who's going to read an email. Yeah, this email is from uh, Michael Bradley. It was sent to us about uh, eight days ago, over a week ago. He says, Hey, gang, I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago after references from the World of Superman blog and the Bailey and Taylor's From Crisis to Crisis podcast. I've been a predominantly DC fan. Okay, to be honest, predominantly a Superman fan as far back as I can remember. I certainly like this character of Spider-Man, but he's never been high on my reads list. I've read the origin and a handful of other issues throughout the years, but that's about it. Most of my exposure to the character has come from the movies, episodes of Spider-Man as Amazing Friends, DC vs. Marvel crossovers, and from hearing discussions from friends, several who are rabid fans of Spidey. 
Like I say, the cast came highly recommended, so I downloaded the episodes and did a marathon listen to all the episodes to date while at work via headphones over the last couple of weeks. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed hearing the discussion of old issues, even though I've not read most of them. You, you guys near encyclopedic knowledge of Spider-Man and his history is second to none I've ever heard, and it's great hearing discussions of the back issues from such well-versed fans. It made me want to hunt down the essential volumes and read the stories for myself sometime soon. I was a bit taken aback by the abundance of abuse jokes in episode 11. Uh-oh. <laughs> I understand it was all good-natured and done in fun. I'm a well aware of, and I have no problem mocking the more ridiculous facets and storylines that come up in this hobby we all love. But even good-natured humor can, can push a line of tact or, or good taste. So even given that I'm loving the podcast and can't wait for more episodes, you guys are a hoot to listen to. I'm sure there's been more than one unusual look cast my way from co-workers as I start laughing out loud at a comment made by one of you. Keep up the good work, and thanks for helping the arduous nights at work go, a little, go by a little quicker. Sincerely, Michael Bradley. Thank you very much, Michael, for that email. Um, I'm glad you like the show. I hope that these episodes that we're producing for you are also to your liking. The only thing I can say about episode 11 is, yeah, Sorry. <laughs> we probably took a little bit too far. I do try to... Don't listen to any episodes where Doc Ock captures Betty Brands. Yeah, because <laughs> we just can't help ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to say how I feel about that because on the one hand, I don't want to offend anybody, especially those who might be in a bad situation. On the other hand, having been in many and several bad situations myself, I sort of claim that topic of humor as my own. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And yes, I do think we might have pushed a little bit too far, but I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. And I hope that you continue to listen. Yeah, um, I think that uh, we, I think I think it kind of goes as an ebb and flow in like the uh, risqueness of the of our jokes. But I mean, we we don't mean to offend anybody, and uh, we don't. We we're sorry if we if we offended you, and you know we don't. Sometimes we go off the rails, and I, I'm not going to pretend that it's never going to happen again because it it just might, you know. But you know, we'll try. <laughs> you get caught up in the moment. You get caught up in the humor, and everything goes from there. I have Hank Pym to blame. I'm sorry, but Hank, it's a story about Hank Pym and Janet. It's going to raise. Kind of the el- it's kind of the elephant in the room. That would be like if we were reviewing a story about Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy going on a date at a bridge. <laughs> I mean, someone would have to say something. Or it would be like if a writer decided to do a story about Spider-Man's first time at the Brooklyn Bridge. Chapter one! And finally, there is a comment that was left on our Libsyn page. And every one of the comments that are left there, I do read and I do appreciate, even though we don't normally bring them out on the show. But Brian and Novice Girl and Jan and all the other ones out there who've made left comments on the show, that's great. I appreciate it very much. But this one I felt was worth addressing. He says, Hi, guys. You can't. Oh, this is regarding uh, episode 12 um, uh, over the Amazing Spider Man annual and the things that were discussed there. He says, hi guys, you can view the search for Steve Ditko documentary by Jonathan Ross on YouTube at, and he has a YouTube link. So if you want to see this, you're video, not going to read the YouTube link out I'm loud. I'm not going to read the YouTube link out loud. Sorry. You can go to amazingspiderman.lipson.com and find the posting for the episode number 12. And there will be the uh, YouTube link there. And he says, also Ditko is not crazy. Mr. Bailey. He just holds tight to his beliefs. You have to admire that in a man. The work speaks for itself, and that is it according to Ditko. About credits and Stanley, I'm not too sure when DC started putting credit in their comics, but Stanley and Marvel did it with much more gusto in their titles. Stan did a lot more than DC to promote the artists and letterers than DC did. You gotta give Stan his props for that. 
He made you feel that you were part of something by telling stories about these people. In closing, I'm not a regular listener to your show, and the reason I picked this one is that this first Spider-Man annual is a favorite of mine. We agree there, sir. He goes on to say, I have the original issue and also the tabloid size reprint that makes the Ditko splashes all the more beautiful when enlarged. I might just have to look for a copy of that. <laughs> but here's the part that I wanted to address. He says, please lay off the that's retarded comments, guys. Can do better than that. Parents with kids that are slow really resent that word. Use something else, please. Jonathan Hickman got into some trouble recently when he had Valeria refer to something as retarded in a recent Fantastic Four issue. He backed it up by saying that this is how kids talk, but let's give anyone else the chance to think that it is okay by you saying that in a podcast. Thanks, guys. David D. Um, I'm not going to address the Valeria aspect because I have opinions about, you know, having characters speak the way characters would speak. But as far as my own use of the term, here's and, – and please hear me out on this. When I first read your post, uh, I was a little bit upset because I feel like that I have a pretty good control over what's acceptable and what's not in my speech. And so I was trying to figure out how to very diplomatically tell you that I didn't agree with your opinion. Uh, and then I started thinking about what is important to me and the way I address other people. And I am one of those who will jump all over your ass if you use gay as a generic insult, or if you make anything resembling a racist comment in a conversation in which I'm a part, um, I, I have no toleration for those sorts of things. And so I started thinking about it, and I realized that this very much falls under the same category. So while I can't say it's never going to slip out again, because I've been using that since I was in high school, nigh on 15 years ago, um, I am going to make a very concerted effort to eliminate that jargon from my speech. So thank you for bringing that to my attention, David. I do appreciate it, and I wanted to uh, bring that on the air to say. You can always like bleep it out if you slip up. <laughs> I can always, I, yeah, I can censor myself later. That's what God made editing rooms for. Yeah, in terms of the Hickman issue, I remember that issue of Fantastic Four, and it wasn't that she was referring to something as retarded. She referred to her brother as retard, as if it was a nickname, and it was like three or four times in the issue. And I do remember that making me feel uncomfortable. And I, I think I might feel differently as if it was a one-time usage versus three or four times in an issue. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop. I don't know if Valeria is going to stop, but I'm going to try to stop. Thank you for feedback. I didn't mean to get heavy. I just wanted to share my opinions. Please, everyone, feel free to write in on your thoughts on the show, and we will take them to heart. Um, the email address is AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com. And now, without further ado, we present Amazing Spider-Man! Oh yeah! So, jumping right into issue number 21, it was released on November 10th, 1964, with a cover date of February 1965. And our first synopsis is Donovan Morgan Grant Donomark! Known by many names is Donna Mark and Dudley Bronson. <laughs> the issue and starts the, off. And the sidekick. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the most important tagline of all. Where flies the beetle? Guest starring the Human Torch. Tis true, it's the Amazing Spider-Man issue 21. Deliciously written by Stan Lee, deliriously illustrated by Steve Dicko, delightfully lettered by Sam Rosen. Another mighty milestone in this Marvel age of comics. Dun, dun, dun. This this issue has the Beatle, and that's all we need to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, uh, for those who don't know that the Beatle is this robot-looking... Well, he's a guy. He's a, he's a man in a costume uh, or an armor, but 
He's kind of like a really goofy 50s sci-fi looking kind of character. And it's really kind of terrible because I came to this story having read um, Deadly Foes of Spider-Man as a kid. There's a four-issue miniseries from 1991. And by that time, he had a much more streamlined costume. So when I started looking at these early books and I saw the bucket helmet and the the suction cup fingers and it was just like wow that's oh my god what is this yeah yeah don't don't we fight him in the ultimate spider-man video game i haven't gotten that far in the ultimate spider-man i just beat rhino he's he's like i think he's the next spider-man mission maybe but uh no yeah i agree i i'm I'm, when i grew up i was much more familiar with the purple and green beetle than uh than this thing (laughs) but it's the same guy it's um abner jenkins and abner jenkins is just released from prison because you know none of these new york Prisons can hold supervillains for long. Not only that, but they happily give him back his equipment. I know. <laughs> and he's like, there there's go. no law against giving a man a costume. Yeah, at, le- at least they try and explain it. <laughs> How is there not a law against owning an well, awesome no, costume? I was like, like, there's really not a well, law? hold on. But, but then they'd arrest Tony Stark. Oh, well, they well, don't like, know that Tony Stark is like, Iron Man yet. armored costume. An armored costume can be used for danger. And or, he's, or, al- he's already demonstrated it's a weapon. And seconds that, like, like, literally. He's got a really good lawyer. I guess. The first panel he's released, and the second panel he, he becomes a criminal again. He wastes no time. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as that happens, uh, we cut to um, Abner Jenkins is out of, out of prison and decides to you know tr- try risk getting back into prison by becoming the Beatle again. And the next scene we are introduced to both Dory Evans and her boy pal, Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch. Dun, dun, dun. Dory Evans is... Don't you uh, dare call him the Human Torch in front of Dory. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the gag for the episode, folks. Because Dory Evans is the MVP of this issue as... She's, she's Human Torch's girlfriend, but she doesn't like the Human Torch. Paradox. Because as soon as Johnny Storm... <laughs> That's like a paper, groupie who like doesn't like their boyfriend's music. It really like, is. Why can't she get nice gospel singer? Why do you have to be a rock star? That would be like someone who would marry Elvis and say, I hate it when you play guitar and sing. Why don't you give it up? Especially with, with uh, Johnny, since it's like, it's not a secret identity thing. It's, it's innate to who he is. He cannot not be a man who starts on fire. And he, lo- and he loves it, too. It's, it's not like he's, she's with a thing who doesn't like his powers. It's like Johnny Storm who relishes the ability. And like, has, there, has there ever been an issue to show how they got together? I'm interested. I would be interested to read that. It's, uh, it, was it was a strange, strange tale. Yeah, uh, early. Uh, I don't know exactly which issue, although I can find that out. You keep recapping. I'm gonna go to Chronology Project. Remember the, the Beetle issue that was referenced. Anyways, yeah, Johnny realizes that Johnny finds out that the Beetle has been released, so he flames on into the Human Torch and decides to search for him. While Dory Evans says, "Oh no, not again!" and she can't stand it. But th- they're not the hero of the issue. The hero of the issue is Spider-Man, a.k.a. Peter Parker. He's busy studying and decides to work out, get some exercise by jumping across the buildings and web-swinging everywhere. He runs into a... He, he basically lands on a building, and the citizens down in New York see him and start to flee in terror. Rats, I'm just about as well-loved by the fellow city as Jagger Hoover is by the mafia. Yeah, literally. These guys can't stand the sight of him, even though he's not on fire. Uh, cut to the guy on fire as Human Torch, who's searching for the Beetle, decides to play up the crowd's expectations and, you know, just some tricks and makes a heart out of flames and everything. And they're loving it. They're just eating it up. So as Spider-Man notices this, you know, how he's basically the bad guy. They can't stand the side of him. But Human Torch is, you know, you know, the boy of the city. Both, or Actually, the Human Torch is being spotted by another guy, which is the Beetle. The Beetle decides to follow him while the Human Torch decides to call it an evening and so does Spider-Man. Johnny goes back to Johnny goes back to his uh is it Glen Glendale right now? I think so, yeah. No, Glen Glenville. 
Glenville. Glenville. Glenville. Well, he's, well he's, he's, he's going the he's going the Dory's house. Okay, Dory's house. Okay, yeah, I was wondering like because they don't say where where exactly they are. He goes back. He goes back to Dory's house, and Dory with a frozen word balloon says, "Who invited you?" Johnny says, "Oh, you're not angry at me just because I flamed on and flew away for a while, are you?" Of course not. I love having my date suddenly leave me in the middle of the street while he makes a silly smoking spectacle of himself. But Dory, no buts, Johnny Storm. I've had it. I want a boyfriend, not a blazing juvenile show up in a silly uniform. She's real likable. That's pretty terrible. She makes Betty Branton look good. <laughs> she continues to make Betty Branton look good by um, serving an ultimatum. If Johnny is not able to not become the Human Torch for 24 hours, she's dumping him. It's a deal, love of my life. But what do they feed you when you were a baby? Nails? Now, I do have okay, to say... Why, that why, did, why did she not punch him in the face, then? Yeah, that's not exactly the best way to stay in her good graces. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I probably would have said the same thing, though. <laughs> and that day, I, I would have Galactus said it, like, after she was Earth. gone, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Galactus shows up. Galactus shows up, and, like, Doctor Doom, like, takes the UN hostage, and... Johnny Storm, don't you dare! Like, oh, really, lazy. <laughs> Go, baby. Galactus is about to. The only thing that 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 can stop this guy is fire. Literally, it's a water. It's an ice villain. I have to make all the ice melt. I'm the only one that can do it fast enough. Johnny, don't you dare! She's like crossing her arms and tapping on the on the floor, like Johnny. I'd rather have this world blow up than have you become the Human Torch. What a little silly little thing. Speaking of silly, this is all being observed by the beetle who's like, like, like clinging to the wall outside. I've seen enough. Now I know what to do. It looks really funny. Uh, <laughs> How often does uh, he stare into girls' houses? You know. Oh yes, he he he, he didn't know. That. Oh, it's Demon Torch and a pretty young underage girl. My luck is about to change. That's not that's not that's not in the dialogue, but it's probably what he's thinking of. But there's also a scene of Spider-Man swinging around, people continuing to not like him for no reason. The very next well, day... I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this, because... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The last time we saw the public's reaction to Spider-Man was issue 18, when Jameson was touting him as a coward for running out of the goblin fight. People saw him running from the Sandman, and I can kind of understand how people might have lost a lot of confidence in what kind of person he might be under there. Because he, he has gone through a really rough patch that he's just come out of, and... I, I can understand it. Now, next issue, when they're all buddy-buddy with him again, maybe not so much, how the abrupt change happens. That's when they're afraid of him. It's not that they hate him. They're like afraid of him, kind of. It's like, that Spider-Man, what is he going to do? His mysterious deco drawn mask. Nobody knows who you are. <laughs> I wish I knew the lyrics to that song. That's about um, it. <laughs> it's, it's like two lines. Spider-Man, what? Actually, no, I can't remember it. So never mind. Continue on. Nobody knows who you are. It's like, where do you come from? Yeah, where are you coming from, Spider-Man? Nobody knows who you are. And it's because a, of that, that psychic mind block. Because <laughs> of that psychic mind block. That's in verse two. The very next day, Dory is uh, carrying along shopping and reminding readers of the plot by saying, I can't concentrate without thinking of if Johnny's broken his promise or not. For no reason. As kids run by her and it makes her drop all of her uh, bought items. Peter Parker by the way, if, to... if we needed another reason to hate Dory Evans, if they need to make her even more unlikable, she hates children. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, like her time... little monsters? Kids, they made me drop all my packages. They could not make this woman more unlikable. But she's the girlfriend. She has to be unlike. She has to be likable, right? 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 Wrong. <laughs> While she's yelling at the kids, Peter Parker, you know, nice guy that he is, is walking by and, you know, helps her stuff and says, oh, here you go. Be careful now. And she says, what a nice, sweet, gentlemanly boy. <laughs> through, a, through the confusion, she also dropped her wallet, which Peter notices. So he goes by her house and hands it back to her. After taking you know, out she, all the cash. 
Yeah, <laughs> after pocketing some money, he's just, <laughs> now I won't have to work for Beagle anymore. Huh, I may need your medicine. <laughs> I was just thinking, as, you know, web fluid, but you know, whatever. As, as he shifts his eyes to the to the fourth to the fourth wall, <laughs> he, he he goes back to Dory's house and gives her a wallet, so she invites him in for some soda. They have they have a little small small talking conversation as he tells her, you know, um, what he's studying. He goes to Midtown High and then he lives with his aunt. And she's like, oh, she's he's so much better than my superhero boyfriend. If only Johnny were more like. Like boring ass Peter Parker, verbatim. She actually does. No, she doesn't say that. As Peter walks out and uh, you know has has a whistling, as if like he, as if there's like some missing panels. <laughs> there's also I should also should be said that there's a shady guy with, with shady sunglasses, shades actually, lighting a cigarette next to a stop sign. Johnny pulls up in his convertible and says, "Hey, um, it's been twelve hours and I've not done anything yet. Who, by the way, who is that guy?" And you know. This 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 um switches the shift from Dory Evans from bitch mode one to bitch mode two. He says, "Oh, actually, that was Peter Parker, the nicest boy around. He's a student at high, Midtown High, and he's interested in politics, science, and current events. Can you believe it?" And Johnny's like, "Well, whoop do damn do. It wouldn't do you any harm to take a lead from his book, Johnny Storm. It would be wonderful if some of his poison polish were to rub off on you." And Johnny's like, "Oh, give me a break." And this is all being observed by the Beatle again. He's, he's basically taking a page from Matt Gargan being a, a snooper. Now I know what to do, and next time I'll fight him as the Beatle. Cut to, uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> Peter Parker and Betty Brand are just minding their own business at a shopping store, I imagine. And uh, all of a sudden, Human Torch, in his in full uniform, gangs up on Peter, you know, going to shake him down, basically. He says, yo, recognize who I am, kid? Yeah, you're Human Torch, some jerk who walks in his pajamas, or maybe both. Johnny um, all, all but shows Peter Parker against the wall and says not to mess with Dory again or there's going to be trouble. And as this, goes, this is going on, not only is Flash and his friends conveniently walking up and seeing this, but of course, Betty is freaking out at the very mere mission of Peter Parker and another girl. <laughs> it just devastated her entire universe. That She's already crying. That Peter could possibly <laughs> talk to another female. He's, he's telling Peter to stay away from some <laughs> other girl and I never even suspected I might as well leave now. He doesn't care about me anyway. I mean, it's not like I was dating Ned Leeds openly last issue. You know? <laughs> I mean, doesn't he know the rules? I'm allowed to date as many men as I want openly, and he has tied just to me. Okay, that last part was made up. <laughs> or was it? Or was it? <laughs> now, Josh, back in the day, like, you know, years ago, when we were talking about Strange Tales Annual 2, uh, you mentioned that Peter Parker and Johnny Storm have their own separate relationship and rivalry, apart yeah. from that between Spider-Man and the Torch. And it seems to me like this is kind of where it starts. Yeah, there, there's like little shades of like, when, for example, when he in the Doctor Octopus issue where he's like, "Hey, man, thanks. You know, you've really inspired me." And then Johnny really hands each other's him, names. Yeah, and then Johnny hands him the autograph. Then. Oh yeah, the, like, the yeah, autograph. This, this is like the first time that he he's fully aware of who Peter Parker is, and. In the uh, wonderfully written um, Dan Slott Spider-Man Human Torch miniseries, like the first issue, it's kind of like, you know, a Homer Simpson, Mr. Burns moment where it's like, don't you remember <laughs> him, you know, sir? He's done this, this, this. Like Johnny Storm um, um, has Peter Parker become his personal photographer and Johnny doesn't remember. And he's like, don't you remember? I thanked you after you did that school um, uh, speech. He's like, no, nah, it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I saw your girlfriend. You, you, you no, know, you gave me you gave me your autograph in the street that one time. Uh, yeah, and he's like, I 
you shook me down for like talking to your girlfriend, something like that. I think Dory was even in that issue. It may have even been her idea. I haven't read it. Oh, anymore. I, gotta, I gotta find it now. I, I, I gotta see more of this Dory Evans. Oh, speaking <laughs> of Dory Evans, I did find that her first appearance was in Strange Tales 113. For all you out there who want to go and hunt down that little gem of uh, jewelry there. I have read it, but I don't remember the nature of their meeting. I think it had something to do with her father. Yeah, like her father's like a, like a rich the, guy, and he and had the torch do a job for him or something. And, and because her father didn't have powers, you know, she was attracted to him more than Human Torch. Something. <laughs> something yeah. like that. And if we haven't mentioned it before, like, after Johnny basically, like, forgets all about Dory for Chris, you know, because of Crystal... After, like, Crystal dumps him after almost 100 issues, he's like, well, might as well look Dory up again. And he knocks, <laughs> on, her door. He knocks on her door, and she's this fat housewife with, like, two or three kids. And she's like, Johnny, I haven't seen you in forever. Come in. He's like, kids? What? Husband? Uh, bye, Dory. Where yeah. are you going to have some pie? She never actually appears in Fantastic Four until that issue. She's in Ooh. Strange Tales a whole bunch. And it, they have, I guess, behind the scenes is, I guess, maybe he calls her or something or talks yeah, about her. Yeah, he calls her. her. He but calls her. Um, between um, Strange Tales 133, that's her last appearance until, actual appearance on the page until Fantastic Four 134. That's interesting. Uh, she's, there, she's, a, she's sort of like Sissy Ironwood for Peter. Yeah. yeah. Marvel Tales I mean, girlfriend. She was his canonical yes. girlfriend, but yeah, she... Like, you'd see issues of Fantastic Four where he'd call her and, like, she'd kind of pull a Betty Brand on him saying, sorry, Johnny, I have a date with another boy tonight. And that was when Johnny, like, wandered off and met Crystal. And then the next time she was mentioned was right after the Galactus storyline where Johnny started college. He mentions that, like, Dory, like, gave him a car or something. And it's like, it's great that me and Dory are still friends, even though we're in love with other people now. Dory gave him a car. I think Shoot. so. Yeah. Is there I think girlfriend, that that's what like, a, like, like, daughter of a rich person? Except for Betty. That's the best kind of girlfriend to get. Oh, yes. That blonde boy stealer wants everyone to know how rich she is. <laughs> and now we return to uh, Peter Parker versus Human Torch. You brainless, small-headed, loudmouth jerk! Who do you think you're shooting your app off at? Huh? Yeah, that was Peter lighting into the torch because he just scared off Betty with his comments about the girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, I should say, yeah, I'm sorry. Peter sees Betty all sobby and, you know, slink away. And after his torch, like, you know, points his finger and he says, don't mess with my girl, boy. Like, Peter just snaps back and he calls him a swell-headed loudmouth jerk. Torch is, like, totally taken aback because, I mean, you know, even Torch knows he can't really beat up a, a normal citizen. And Flash and the Flash and friends are saying, wow, Peter, Peter, Peter's got more guts than we thought. And Flash, no, no, no. I mean, what guy would not pick a fight with a Torch? Because he's, what is he going to do? Light you on fire? He's not going to do that. He's a superhero. So Flash is like, you know, don't, don't mess with me, man. You're, you're, you're just a pain in the neck. Get me? And even Flash starts taking shots at Human Torch. Hey, Torch! And then the Human Torch like lights Flash on fire. Like, oh, yeah. They call you Flash, right? <laughs> Flash fire, right? <laughs> Peter start, tries to explain to Betty, but she's like, there's nothing to explain. If you don't mind, I'd just like to go home now. This really gets on Peter's skin. He's like, he goes, he walks towards a uh, construction site where there are bricks. And he says, I know he didn't mean it, but still, it's all that miserable human matchstick's fault. He bends over and places his two his two straining hands on a couple of bricks, a couple of cinder block bricks. I don't have color. Is it, it is bricks, right? They're gray here. So I'm... Okay, so they're cinder blocks. They're even different. I couldn't even have the satisfaction of fighting with him, of wiping that conceited smirk off his face. He never fight with Peter Parker because, and he snaps the cinder, cinder blocks with his bare hands because I'm he think I'm too weak for him. Peter 
is kind of despondent, so he starts walking towards him. He says, hey, wait a minute. He says, Betty's mad at me. Why should I have fun with the torch? If he's jealous of Peter Parker, how do we feel about Spider-Man? Peter changes to the Amazing Spider-Man and decides to <laughs> mess with Torch some more. This is this well, is a very heroic motivation right here. I know. <laughs> I was really like, like, what a minute. It's only slightly better than leaving Flash to Doctor Doom to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, we ha- we have a stalker count of three as as uh, as the Beatle is seen spying on Dory Evans again for the third time, and as he's about to make his move, Spider-Man comes in front of the f- heading towards the front door. Beetle sees him and starts. They start attacking each other, and as Beetle throws him towards a tree, Spider Man turns around and starts battling in front of uh, Dory's uh, front lawn. Dory sees this and says, "Oh boy!" And she starts phoning a Human Torch and says, "You got to come over here quick! I'm in trouble, Johnny." Johnny has the, the the most cheeky smirk on his face. He's like, "Nice try, girlfriend, but you won't me lose my bet that way. I said it wouldn't flame on for 24 hours, and I still got 11 hours to go." And John is just like, just like, like, just grinning and eating all this up. And she says, "No, no, no, no! I'm not fooling. I really need you, Johnny. You must believe me, Johnny. Listen, Johnny." And he says, "Yeah, yeah, sure, baby. I'm sure. What was it? Spider-Man, Doctor Doom." This is this is classic cornball stuff right here. I mean, Dick no, and is- Lee are just awesome on this. <laughs> this is like a black comedy version of an Aesop's fable or the Boy Who Cried Wolf. And he's like, like getting the- eaten by the wolf. He's calling. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, like as the beetle like murders Dory, <laughs> and Johnny's like, yeah, oh, holy crap, she was right. I do. Oh have well, to, at least I, I can my bet. <laughs> I do have to say it's a pretty neat little fight we had with the beetle. My favorite part is on page ten when he smacks the beetle across the helmeted face, and it says, "Poing." <laughs> yeah, I like that too. I actually, actually skimmed <laughs> over that. It's like, "Boing." It's a really funny, sound, like sixty sound effect. Yeah, to quote, to quote a damn Fisher, she has it coming. Um, as they, as they, as the battle continues, Spider-Man shoves Beetle right through the window, and they actually find like the living room messing everything up, like even even cutting off the. It's actually like I can just imagine this being animator in live action. It would be actually really horrifying for her, but funny to us. Johnny actually Johnny actually is amused by her her quote unquote sense of humor, and decides to head over there to, to you know to to hang out with her now. Ah, I love a girl with a sense of humor, even though she has a prejudice against costume crime fighters. He's hoping that he'll get laid because it's been almost twenty four hours. Yeah, it's like, come on, baby. But Dory's like, you know, when will it end? What does this mean? If only I could reach the phone. And and Beetle finally says, you know what? I've been spying you for three times straight. I don't think I'm going to grab you now. And he flies off with Dory Evans, revealing that he always wanted her to bait the Human Torch in for his revenge. Spider-Man chases after them, and the Human Torch gets to the house, a shambles, and there's, signs of, there's strands of webbing around there. So he decides to flame on and follow them, you know, Quite predictably, he finds Spider-Man and thinks that Spider-Man's behind it. And then Dory, like, comes out from behind the couch and says, Ha ha, I tricked you. You lost the bet. <laughs> We're no breaking se- up now. No sex for you tonight. <laughs> uh, uh, the fight between Human Torch and Spider-Man is underway. As Torch shoots some fireballs at him and, and Spider-Man makes some um, ping-pong paddles with his web fluid, which is kind of awesome. It's like a, um, a, what we call that, a bola? They wrap some yeah. torch there? Um, what page is that on? At the is bottom that, of oh, yeah. 14, is that what that's called, Ebola? Yeah, Ebola. Okay. Even though it's just web ball, it's, 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 it's drawn like Ebola. It's actually, this is actually really cool. I, I, I really like the choreography in here. Um, Johnny starts going all out and just, you know, flames up everything. So, Spidey says, he's coming after me. It's what I wanted. Now all I'm going to do is find a way to live through it. Wah, wah, wah. As the fight goes on, Jameson's saying, you know, where in Sam Hill is Peter Parker? He hasn't brought me any unusual crime for one days. I don't know, Mr. Jameson. 
What do you mean you don't know? You are his girlfriend, aren't you? Although I can't see why. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the theory that Jay, that Jameson's on Team Betty. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. No, he's just not on Team Peter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He just, doesn't like, he just doesn't like any of Betty's boyfriends. He said Ned leads away for getting too close. He's like, here, European assignment for you. Your what? This oh, European assignment. Sorry, yeah. I had the, the, European assignment, and I just wasn't sure what that was supposed to mean. And, and John, like, you know, um, like folds his arms and, you know, makes his shoulders like, whoops. <laughs> Betty starts feeling, starts to miss Peter and pulls out a, uh, a contrived and convenient picture for, for herself. So she says... She calls up um, Aunt May's house and says, Hi, Miss Parker. Is uh, your nephew home? Why, no, he isn't. I haven't seen him since morning. I thought he might be with you. Betty? Betty? Strange. I thought I could hear him sob. Cut to Betty sobbing and, you know, saying, Oh, I was a fool to hope for the impossible. And, you know, where this is going. Because Peter cannot have a life. He cannot talk to people. He cannot do anything without either Betty Brandt or Aunt May falling over and dying. Either of hysterics or heart attacks. Stanley and Steve Dicko, what what did the women in your life do to you? <laughs> <laughs> the vengeance. <laughs> um, carries on, and Torch and Torch and Spidey catch up to Beetle and Dory, and Torch eventually figures out, oh, it's Beetle who's the bad guy. Okay, now before they catch up to him at the top of sixteen, he says, "We're gaining on the Beetle." Now he's swinging through the air and the torch is flying with flame and they're gaining on the beetle. And I was like, the beetle must be like the slowest flying supervillain. Actually, they do mention that because of his heavy armor, he's actually very kind of slow. Oh, do they mention so, that? I must have breezed over that, that thought balloon. Okay. Yeah, they, they, I, think, I think it's right when he starts to uh, – page 13, he says his wings are so heavy that he can't fly very fast. And I had another theory about this. Plus, um, he's, he's carrying Dory, so that's got to slow him down. Do y'all think right. that possibly they had intended to have Ned written off the book at this point? Um, as much as Betty's agonizing over Peter, I mean, you and I know that he comes back, and you and I know that they were dating for a couple of issues, but if if, if it was just issues 19 and 20, they went to see a movie, and then they took him to the airport, maybe... Well, well they had another date in between, because like, it's like, oh, I have a date with Ned tonight, when, when they're like kind of like, you know, doing their Betty-Ned-Peter schedule... When Betty, like, whips out the calendar and says, you can date me tomorrow night. Ned's dating me tonight. I think I just get the feeling that they didn't really plan to bring Ned back, that that was something they did later. And that's that's one of the reasons why Betty's reacting so strongly here. I mean, we all know that Betty's a psychotic, crazy woman, but... Well, you know, I would say that because the, in a couple of issues, we also see the return of another character that we saw before. So maybe Stan Lee was in the mood to bring back characters from the past. I don't know. I think Stan Lee was very big with romantic love triangles, like in all of his books. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, it, it, it was very, very Stan Lee of him to take Ned off of the table for a while and then bring him back later. Maybe he threw him in the book, couple of books, and sent him off to Europe and then waited to see how readers reacted to the character. Well, I, I think he, needed, he knew that he was going to need conflict for Peter and Betty because, you know, all of the Silver Age relationships have conflict, and he couldn't keep on... He couldn't keep going back to the well of Peter's taking crime photos because that was done for a few issues. And then I guess Stan realized that it got old. So for a while, the conflict was Betty's jealous of other women. And right. Well, he's Stan, only, he was only in like two issues, right? He was only he, – he was introduced in 18 while uh, Peter is not being Spider-Man. And then he goes yeah. away in 20. He's in uh, three issues. But you're right. I, I, like, I like the triangle theory because there's, there's, always, there's either Betty and another woman and Peter – 
where there's Betty and Ned and Peter. Mm-hmm. And once Ned is gone, the other women start coming up again, and you get introduced to Mary Jane. But then after he plays that card for a while, he brings Ned back from – he starts you know, having the letters coming in from Europe. So – Well, it's interesting because – spoilers – I don't think he really does the love triangle thing with uh, Peter and Gwen later on. I don't really recall. Well, maybe it was something he was a kind of. Well, when you say love triangle with Peter, Gwen, and who? At first there was exactly. At first there was a uh, sort of a Gwen and MJ thing. Very briefly, it did not not as long as everyone remembers because a lot of people like to look back at that period as oh it was like Betty and Veronica you know but kind of like Spider Man Blue kind of did yeah yeah but after Peter and Gwen started going steady. Mary Jane mostly, like, stayed away from Peter, except for one or two occasions towards the end of the run. Right, where, yeah. Like, like, like the drug storyline, and then, like, one issue after the drug storyline. When she did show up, she was kind of flirty, but she didn't show up that often. And But but early on, and, and before Gwen Stacy lost all of her personality, there was a Peter, Gwen, and MJ, and Harry, even, sort of like yeah, they, little... Yeah, they, 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 switched, they switched girlfriends. The girls kind of played each other, like... They played the boys off of each other. They mm. they really had them in their wrapped around their little fingers with their sexy Kentish Ramita drawn bra- bodies. Yeah, is <laughs> it, <said> bro? <laughs> but I guess going back to the original question, I think that Stan intended to bring that back because it's a very soap opera thing to do to send you know the the competition away for a while, so that way they can have him show back up. It's very classic Stan, and if you read the other books like Fantastic Four or whatever, I mean that's what they were doing with Namor. You know, he'd come back every now and then. It would throw a wrench in Reed and Sue's on-again, off-again engagement that they forgot about. <laughs> which we'll get Apparently into. I, th- I think it's the next episode when we're covering that. I mean, over in Iron Man, it was uh, Happy Hogan and Tony Stark, you know, competing for Pepper Potts. Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock for Karen Page. I know you're uh, right. Scott it, it, Summers and Warren Washington for Jean Grey. As a, writer of serial, as a writer of serial fiction, you do have to kind of, you know, juggle your balls. And so you send one off and you know maybe you yeah. do have plans to bring him back maybe you just think you can always bring him back later if you want to also uh peter flash and liz sort of yeah yeah oh the, there there's triangles everywhere and it's it's like a polyhedron there's so many triangles okay so getting back to well the- and then to make him more messed up flash later dates betty gah ah! whoa and mj yeah. slept with them all let's go the beetle throws a wall into Human Torch. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we should know that he has suction. He has huge, goopy suction cups, so he's able to do that. Those things must be massively strong to pull a wall out of the wall. And to do it like paper, as someone uh, thinks, and off off uh, panel. But uh, yeah, th- this fight is taking place in like a. From what I, from what I can ascertain, it's a, a constructed building that's not finished yet, or is it a construction site? One of those. Yeah, it looks like... It looks like it, an old decayed building. I would say well, there's no ceiling on it, so I would say an unfinished building. There well, is a ceiling in, 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 in one, because when Spider-Man drops in and uh, the fourth I'm, I'm panel... Looking, I'm looking at the top of 17. It looks like they're they're uh, going into an unfinished building there. But look at number... Uh, but look at panel four. Like, Spider-Man's dropping in. There's a hole in the ceiling. Right, so... It's, and it's not like a hole like they started building it, but they stopped. The way that the hole is shaped, it looks like it's a building that's been damaged. Okay, so partially demolished building. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Not that it really matters, except that this is our job to overanalyze the details. Oh, yes. So you, the I listener, think that can, the decomposing building represents the decomposed state of <laughs> Spider-Man's psyche during the battle. I want to throw on the hypnotoad on you. And, and, and in the re- relationship between Human Torch and his long-lost love, Dory Evans. 
Now get some more fighting. Spider-Man crashes through a ceiling. <laughs> and as, this, as the human torch is about to shoot a fireball in Beetle's face, he, um, because Spider-Man crashes right in front of him, he misses. The two try to go their separate ways to attack the Beetle. Human torch flies out of the building. Spider-Man wall crawls inside. And while Spider-Man swings and Human Torch melts through the ceiling, they both cut off the beetle left and right. Torch, Spider-Man, oh no! Oh yes! <laughs> Torch's uh, flame starts to go out, but Spider-Man got, got, has Actual the Actual dialogue, beetle. folks. Yeah, oh, yeah. that is. Actual oh yeah. Dialogue. Oh no. Oh yes, fuck! And, and, and Beetle's like, like, like doing the... Kind of like, kinda like, like <laughs> looking up and right. Spider-Man webs the beetle, and um, Torch captures him with a flame cage. Uh... Science, I guess. Um, while, while Spider-Man webs him up, Dory is really kind of, you know, freaked out by Spider-Man. Aren't you going to do something about the horrid Spider-Man? I still think he was in league with the Beetle. We have no proof, Dory, and he did help me catch him. And by the way, you know, it should not mind me being the Human Torch at all. When you're in trouble, that is. This kind of brings all the whole thing about the issue because Peter's really been noticing how people have reacted to him and his Spider-Man persona because... Throughout this whole time, Spider-Man has been sort of released, but now people are just dogging on him, and he can't catch a break because Spider-Man is what he does to escape his Peter Parker problems. So he's starting to reflect on how Betty's not giving him a tumble. She thinks he's cheating on him. Jameson can't stand him because he's not giving him pictures. The the public doesn't like him, but they love the Human Torch. And Johnny gets a girl while while Peter just has nothing, and he's just like, you know, I can't take this anymore. I'm out of here. Dory and Johnny are left wondering what he's going to, what kind of person he is, and Johnny is torn because one at times he can't stand him, but at times he thinks he's a really swell guy. He also thinks to himself, "I can understand if she felt like I fell for a guy like Spidey, but that Peter Parker, I, I just don't get it." Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I was waiting for this. But they're the same person. <laughs> but 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 John, but but like Johnny seems like, oh well, they couldn't be too different. But like, but they're not all. Stanley, you have raped my mind. <laughs> Johnny's just confused because there's a hypno coin. Look. <laughs> no, um, my daughter loves to just yell at characters yeah, whenever they obvious. don't get the, the you know the, the things that are obvious to the readers, but the characters don't understand. She just likes to yell at them and tell them that you know they're being. Well, fair I mean, he, he met Peter Parker once. I mean, how? I'll, if, just because he met Peter Parker doesn't mean he has to know he's Spider-Man. Oh, no, no, no. There's no way he would know he was Spider-Man. But we know that he's Spider-Man. We see the irony, and it's thrown in our face. And she, oh, yeah. She, she got it when she was six, and she's eight, and she still gets it. Right. At the, the very end of the issue, Peter swings, Spider-Man swings to a spire on top, of a, on top of several skyscrapers, just standing, you know, being alone with his thoughts. If, I wonder if the world will ever acclaim me as it does others. Or am I always to go through life shunned and loathed? If only I could reveal my secret identity. If I could let people realize who I am. But I just don't dare. And the issue ends. That's where it ends. Look look at those last three panels, by the way. And look at Peter's size compared to the smokestack that he's on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like... The, the, the third panel makes no sense. No, it really size. doesn't. He's a, he's a giant. No, no, no. You know what this is? This is like the Ditko-style shadow of Spider-Man looming over Spider-Man, and then we pull the camera back, so now it's all tiny. Spider-Man's actually this little bitty teeny tiny speck down below the shadow's legs. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I just, yeah. Totally just kidding, but that, that that's you know one explanation for it. Okay. I'll buy it. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would buy it for a dollar. $3.99. So this would be um, the issue that 
the the second the second story of issue number eight, the Spider-Man Human Torch fight at Dory's party, that leads to him leaving. I think the heart for the Invisible Woman at the end. Yeah, they put Invisible Girl. Invisible Girl at this point. Yeah, they uh, the chronologists put that story after this story. And I guess it's because of the Peter Parker Dory conversation scene and the nature of their talking and everything. Because Peter Parker doesn't know who Dory Evans is. Right. Mm. And I went back and I looked over that story and I looked at this one and I was really just trying to examine it. And really, if you just read the words, there's nothing saying they couldn't have happened. It takes a little bit of reading between the lines. I can see why you might want to see it as a continuity problem, but I don't think there has to be. Um, there's no evidence that Spider-Man actually knows who Doris Evans is to look at, you know, by face in the story from issue number eight. And even if he did get a look at her face back then, he could have easily forgotten. It's been a while. It was a year earlier. Um, the fact that Peter sees the ID on, as Doris Evans and doesn't automatically connect her to the torch, I actually kind of believe that because people have the same same name all the time and it's bound to happen in New York City. Oh, yeah. So uh, who's to say he's given two neurons to the torch's personal life? since crashing the party way back then. So I think it's believable to take the stories as they're written, but at the same time, I can see why someone might want to put them in a different order. At the same time, too, it helps with some of the logic, because what we were joking when we did that issue, oh no, the Human Torch is having a party, <laughs> can't have none of that. <laughs> but now, like instead of Spider-Man being a jerk, he's continuing what he was doing this issue, which was, you know, the Human Torch scared away his girlfriend, so he's going for his revenge, which is what he was going to do this issue, make the play for Dory and show off. Yeah. But then, the Beatle, but then the Beatle interrupted him. So now he's going back and finishing the job. You're right. That aspect of it, it does make a lot more sense because I joked about it at the time that that backup story is Spider-Man makes an ass of himself out of nowhere and then is surprised that he has to, like, you know, pay for it. So yeah. it really and is it, kind of... In the context of, and then that's why him and the Human Torch are so like gung-ho towards each other, because they're mad at the end of this issue at each other, and so it it does add some, I mean, the only thing is, like, why does he still think he can make a play for Dory after Dory said at this issue, like, oh, he's so horrible, oh, Johnny, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if we didn't didn't hit before, Dory Evans is like the the biggest bitch on the planet. She hates children, (laughs) but then she has children. Which is weird. Yeah. Well, a lot of people hate children and then have children. It it happens. You get older, you, you grow up, and you realize that you're wrong. I love when Dory says that, oh, don't worry, Johnny. The Beatles just going to fade into obscurity. Pretty much. Wait, wait, wait. at the very beginning of the issue. Yeah. When was the last time we've seen the Beatle? I mean, maybe we've been seeing him a lot, and I just haven't been paying attention, but. It was six six months earlier, comic release time. It was Strange Tales 123. And I no, think, when was the last time we saw him, like, in modern day? Oh, in modern day? <laughs> yeah. I can do a quick look, but it's been a... He might be one of those characters <laughs> that's, like, shown up in the background. Yeah. Because they've, they've... Bendis especially has been doing a lot of just really throwing in massive hordes of random characters. Well, the Beatle is something that always I've always had in my mind as a Spider-Man villain, but I hardly see him in a lot of Spider-Man, like, like uh, issues at, at all. I know he comes back, like, the issue after Gwen Stacy, you know... House of playing out of town, but um, like I, I like I I, I kind of wish he was in more Spider-Man. I kind of wish he was more Spider-Man issues, just because he's he's a, he's a nice enough villain for him to kind of just beat up for for no reason. Okay, he goes through a lot of um, name changes. He is the Beetle, 
And then back in the early days of the Thunderbolts, he changes his name to Mach 1. Uh, like, that was because they were posing as heroes, if I recall. Well, he never changed back. He went from Mach 1, Mach 2, Mach 3, Mach 4. And Mach 4 was last seen in Amazing Spider-Man number 538, which I'm guessing is the bar with no name. No, it was pre, uh, pre One More Day. 538 was one of the back in black issues. So yeah. Dory Evans was right. He fades into obscurity. Yeah, the last time we saw the Beatle as the Beatle was... The 90s? The, uh, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man Unlimited, number 12. Uh-oh. <laughs> Josh and I are familiar with Spider-Man Unlimited. Yeah, so that was, that was a way back in the day. Is that the one where Kane dresses up as Spider-Man for one panel? <laughs> I have I the issue. I sure hope so. Le- the Deadly Foes and the Lethal Foes were his last time to shine in the spotlight as the Beatle. Well, he was in the Sinister 6-7. Okay, so it's New York. New York's a pretty big, you know, place, right? Right. How does Johnny Storm find Peter Parker when he goes to look for him to shake him down? I mean, oh, it's kind it's of his... it's hand waved in the issue. He's like, "Aha! I knew if I walked around long enough, I would find him." What? <laughs> <laughs> that no. Was kind of amazing, <laughs> no. I mean, maybe you can say that that you know he and Betty were shopping in Glenville, and Glenville's just like you know a really really small town, but. But we just talked no. last time how we don't know where Betty Brant is. If Peter went to go see Betty and then they went shopping, there's no reason to say they're in Glenville. They could be in Manhattan. And is he going to walk up and down Manhattan streets looking for one guy randomly to appear? I knew I'd find him sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. that. That's exactly what he says in the Thopla. That's the only explanation. How? He uh, planted a fire tracer on him and used his fire sense to try. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to say something like that, but <laughs> there's no reason. It's 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 a very gaping plot hole. It is. And the explanation that they give is just like, aha, I was patient. But I mean, you're, <laughs> in, New- you're in New York. And he's walking. He's like walking around. He could have just like flown from the sky. No, he like, he like walked around literally for like. Well, like, he can. He'd lose the bets. We, oh, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. I mean, if he was flying around, then yes, because then he could cover a lot of ground. Like Peter Parker walking. And not get far, right. and the human shorts can cover all that ground flying. So this, w- I mean, p- graping plot hole of finding uh, Peter Parker aside, this is a, to me a rather awesome issue. Oh, oh this yeah. is one of my absolute favorites. That, that's that's kind of why I did the uh, the recap, even though I, I forgot how much I loved it. Just because this is like you could, this is this is a, an issue with Spider-Man. You could show somebody if you want them to know what Spider-Man's about. Mainly just because of like not oh he's a loser or anything, but it's just like kind of like how things don't always are going to work out for him. And, you know, throughout the issue, like in the beginning, middle, and end, there are points where he's just not very satisfied with how his life is going. Right. And and his Peter Parker life takes precedence over the Spider-Man role in this. I mean, his being Spider-Man is almost, I mean, it's a necessary part of the story because it's a superhero comic book and they have to have an action fight. But it's incidental. This is a a Peter Parker story, and I think that makes it so, so great. Okay, I, I just thought of something, because I looked at the previous page when Dory's like, oh, Peter Parker's the best thing in, since sliced bread. She does say that he's a student at Midtown High, so maybe that like at least told him what district to go in. So maybe he did and, go to Queens. Yeah, so, and... <laughs> I love the picture. But I again, picture I mean, it, it's not like Queens is like, you know, one mile long. Right. Unless it is, but I don't think it is. Uh, like, Queens is one of the five boroughs, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and um, and it would explain why Flash Thompson and everyone was there, like how they would all coincidentally be there, because I could see Peter and Betty maybe like shopping in Glenville, but then Flash and the gang all being there randomly. Yeah, 
Yeah, they would have to be. They would have to be in, in uh, Forest Hills area. So at least the Human Torch would know where to look. Like, maybe he knows, like, where the kids that go to Midtown High, like, their usual hangouts are. I don't know. It's still it's it's still a big leap in logic, but... Yeah, there's not really any way to say it could have happened. <laughs> I mean, I, I just happened to be, you know, in the vicinity of the haystack where that needle was lying, and, and I knew if I looked long <laughs> enough, I'd find it. This issue, uh, it leads off Essential Spider-Man number two, yep. which... I have the first printing of that before, like, they changed the way that the Essentials looked. Like, they changed the cover format and stuff. So mm-hmm. I have, like, the really, really old version of this. Was and the John Romita like, him swinging in with the white background? No, this is before they did the white backgrounds. Oh, um, like the was, black titles? Or the it was, like, it was red. The background of mine was red. And this thing's, like, torn to shreds because I just devoured this thing when I was in middle school. Oh, so yeah. This was, so this, like, led off one of um, my first – it was one of my first, like, back issues. When I was really getting the Spider-Man, I loved the Essentials. And I couldn't find Essential number one, but I had most of those stories anyway because of Amazing Spider-Man classics. I mean, uh, Spider-Man classics, blah, the reprint series. Speaking yeah. of those reprints, um, I just listened to your Fred Van Lente interview from the Spider-Man Crawl Space. He, uh, he has the same secret origin that I do. He had those three pocketbooks collecting the first 20 issues of Spider-Man. That's how he read them when he was a kid, and he read them over and over again, just like I did. And so he like, became a writer of Amazing Spider-Man, and you started a podcast. Just think, it could have been switched. He's my oh secret, God, my secret brother. So yeah, I love this story. And uh, okay, when they catch up to the Beetle, and he's like, "Oh, so the Beetle captured Dory all along." Spider-Man does the whole cliche. That's what I was trying to tell you, but no, you didn't. You egged him on. Yeah. You never specifically said, "No, I don't have your girlfriend." Now, I do have to like, say that, that the, the, tor- the Torch attacking Spider-Man is almost without provocation. I mean, he, he knows Spider-Man at least a little bit by now. Why would he automatically think that Spider-Man had kidnapped his girl enough to throw deadly fireballs at him? Because there was web in the house. I mean, two issues ago, Spider-Man just saved him. I know! Saved his life from the Enforcers and Sandman. Speaking of character amnesia, at the end of issue 17... Dory's like, wow, Johnny, now I realize that you need the Human Torch to save people. I sure have learned a very important lesson. And she learns the same lesson here. It's like, didn't we have this story before? <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to. I realize you needed to be the Human Torch. And, and where is Dory? At a Spider-Man fan club meeting. Right. So, I mean, she does. She must not hate the guy too much. Although maybe him being a coward there affected her opinion of him. To me, it's a lot like, 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 like Felicia Hardy in the 90s show. Getting saved by Spider-Man twice, and then like immediately pinning it, pinning Michael Morbus's kidnapping on him because oh he must he can get to the <laughs> must get, it must get climb a building. <laughs> what an idiot! It must be Spider-Man. We had the commencement of the Mary Marvel Marching Society in this issue. There is an ad uh, facing page four uh, where you can get the "I belong to the Mary Marvel Marching Society" pin. The certificate to all who shall see these. It's too small to read what it says. Um, you're going to receive a frankly fabulous record with the actual voices of the bullpen gang clowning around and welcoming you to the good old MMMS. Talk I've about heard that record. Have you? Yeah, Steve Dicko does not like being photographed or recorded. So, like, they basically had people reacting to a fake Steve Dicko on the record when it got to him. They're like, hey, look, there's Steve Dicko. Oh, he's hiding under the table. Oh, he just jumped out the window. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was just, uh, just a dollar. Just a dollar you send in. You get the membership card, the stickers, the certificate, the record, and 
and the pin for uh, for just a dollar. Also in this issue, we had some ads for comics that were going on at the same time. There's an ad for four more Marvel masterpieces on sale now, 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 now. We have the Fantastic Four 35, which we'll actually talk about in just a minute. There's the X-Men number nine, which guest stars the Avengers and will be discussed at length on the X-Men blog soon at AmazingSpiderMan.Lipson.com. Sergeant Fury 14 was called the Blitzkrieg Squad of Baron Strucker. But I know nothing about it, except that I did confirm this was not the first appearance of Baron Strucker. Uh, this is actually his third time that the Howlers had gone up against him. And also, Journey into Mystery 112. And this was kind of an interesting issue. Thor tells a story to a bunch of kiddies of the time he fought the Hulk. And it's a sort of an untold tale, if you will. It flashes back to the Avengers number three, which had been a few months earlier. And it fills in a hidden scene where Thor fights the Hulk in a cave, tries to subdue him because at that point he had just left the team and they were trying to capture him again. And uh, because the Avengers were all freaking out that a Hulk on the loose could destroy the world. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, the story dovetails into the rest of Avengers 3 at the end. So it's, uh, it's a whole flashback issue. It's, it's, you know, kind of interesting in that respect. And now, turning to Spider's Web, the letters column. We have some letters that I thought I'd bring out here. Brian Yates writes a... <laughs> I typed in my notes, Brian Yates writes an email. But no, wow. <laughs> there were no emails. Brian Yates writes a letter that describes Peter Parker as not exactly living the life of Riley. A phrase I had only ever heard that phrase in connection to the Clone Saga blog that chronicles the behind the scenes stuff during the production of the Clone Saga. They call it the life of Riley, but um but wouldn't you know it, it's actually an idiom. Uh, yeah. there's a phrase. Jeffrey Taylor might be happy to know that letter writer John Bailey took issue with J. Jonah Jameson's reason for hating Spider Man. But sadly <laughs> I don't think they'll agree with the why. To quote from JJJ's speech, all my life I've been interested in only one thing, making money. And yet Spider-Man <laughs> risks his life day after day with no thought of reward. If a man like him is good, a hero, then what am I? And he, the letter writer John Bailey says, I ask by what standard may JJJ, a producer, be said to be less moral or even immoral in comparison with Spider-Man? How can J. Jonah Jameson, who has provided work for hundreds or thousands and news for millions, be said to be immoral? Why has a man that has amassed a fortune solely through providing the news faster, cheaper, more concisely, and more accurately than any other source accepted a standard of morality that holds his production, his virtue, to be evil? Money is not a tool of the looters or the moochers. It is a tool of the producers. To be able to say that one has made money is to pay oneself the highest compliment. If J. Jonah Jameson can truly say that he made money, he may walk tall. And I'm picturing Stanley reading that. I'm like, um, um, here, Steve, this is more of your alley. You want to read this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, J. Jonah Jameson goes to teenage fan club meetings with the purpose of, like, destroying them in his multimedia, like, dog. <laughs> that would be, be, like, if a bunch of teenagers, like, down the street decided to start, like, a Britney Spears fan club and Bill O'Reilly decide to, like, show up with Fox News <laughs> to cover it for the sheer purpose of, like, breaking down this fan club. <laughs> what Clevenstein calls the writers on the carpet for calling Liz Allen E.N.'s father Mr. Brandt, as we have brought up uh, last time, and I would like to note 
that by this point it seems I don't know if Stan is still writing the letters columns. He maybe he just took this one off. But all references to Stan and Steve are, as the creators have gone from first person to third person. So I don't know if Flo Steinberg filled in on this issue or if she's the one still doing it steadily. And also all the mags that didn't have letters columns have them now. So there's so much mail coming in and getting processed. They no longer send back acknowledgement cards to letter writers, which they used to do. I don't have the letter column in front of me. Uh, How did they respond to the Mr. Brand thing? You know, Walt, if only all our characters could be named Jones, life would be so much simpler. Sure, you're right, as were the zillion other web spinners who wrote in to tell us of that same typically Marvel bonehead mistake. Can you imagine if we were punished for lettering mistakes in our mags? The whole blame bullpen would be doing life in Alcatraz right now. It's not like they're kind of like, kind of like yeah, we know, shut up. <laughs> and then after the letters... So what do you want to do? Throw us in jail? And there is a really cool Marvel Masterwork pinup of Spider-Man in the, uh, the next page. Very, very cool. It has him in a spotlight sort of standing on a, on a wall but getting ready to pounce so he's all hunched over. It's really neat. I will put this in the show notes on the Libsyn page. I think I'm just going to do that with all the pinups because they're rarely added to the uh, reprint collections and they're almost always worth seeing. Cool. Before we wrap up this first segment, we should turn our attention briefly to the Fantastic Four number 35. Uh, Reed Richards is a graduate of Empire State University and he has been invited to deliver a guest lecture. So he brings a super team with him in their flying car. As they arrive, Professor Xavier and his student Scott Summers are leaving, having just interviewed several students they thought might be mutants, but weren't. But (laughs) more important to our concerns is that while looking for Reed, Johnny Storm and the Thing cross paths with Peter Parker, who was checking out the campus with the notion of maybe enrolling for the next year. We even get an explicit reference and footnote pointing the reader to Amazing Spider-Man 21 in case they missed it. Yeah, at the end of this story... Reed proposes to Sue, and she accepts, which is funny because in Fantastic Four issue one, she calls herself his fiance. And well, not only that, but it's not like they were engaged and they weren't engaged. Like when he proposes to her, they both act like this is like some shocking revelation. She's like, I knew you loved me. He's like, you mean you love me too? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Stan. Yeah. Everyone take a shot because here comes an Untold Tales reference. Which actually, um, the placement of this story, um, right before the State U story, there's a prequel to it in an Untold Tales annual, where it's basically, um, wow, I just realized, yeah, that that actually like makes a lot of things fit together. What's like that? you're gonna have like, you're gonna, oh, it, it makes a lot of things fit together. But basically, um, Sue and Reader, you know, kind of having problems because she's like, hey, look at my new hairdo. He's like, not now, woman, science. And at the yeah. end of the story. Reed says to her, oh, Sue, I've learned a very important lesson. Hey, how about you go to this uh, state you thing with me next week? And then we can, you know, spend some time together there. Which is setting up that story where he proposes to her. So that story, I'm, I'm guessing, takes place after this issue. 20, issue 21, which works, too, because there's more Human Torch and Spider-Man fighting. Because Spider-Man and Human Torch are one-upping each other again. So Spider-Man actually asked, I, I've told the story before, but he asked Sue Storm out to, you know, get under the Human Torch's skin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, and right. it also works, it also works before the story, too, because at one point in the story, Betty calls Peter, and Peter has a thought balloon that basically makes it ambiguous enough that this story can take place anywhere. He's like, oh, good. Betty's been upset about a misunderstanding, but this is a chance to clear it up. <laughs> He's like, 
so she's like, hey, Peter, you know, want to go out tonight? And he's like, oh, I can't. I'm busy. And then she hangs up the phone. She says, have fun with whatever girl you're going out with. Uh, so, like, the status quo, so the status quo is reverted. So maybe she's still mad about uh, the Dory Evans thing. And it would mm. make sense that that happened before issue 22. So, wow, like. They really did their uh, homework to put the, the untold tales fitting into everything. So basically, issue 21 happened. Then issue 8 happened. You know, he, he goes to crash the party. And then it takes it a step further. He ups the ante by asking Sue out, and then the whole Namor thing happens. And at the end, Spider-Man actually wrecks the Human Torch's car in, over in Glenville. And then, and, then, and then they meet again as Peter Parker at the university. Yeah. I do, I do still agree that um, we need, like, a Fantastic Four number one and a half where Reed and Sue, like, have a falling out. They realize they're not ready to get married yet, and they call off the engagement. Well, it's weird because not only – it still doesn't make sense because when he proposes to her, they're, like, acting like, oh, I didn't know that you loved me. I didn't know that you loved me too. And then there's, a like, a, a, a issues before that where he's going to try and propose to her, but Namor kidnaps her. Right. And he's acting like this proposal. As and, like, do. Johnny's like – and there were, everyone's like, oh, we've been waiting for you to propose to her for years. Maybe uh, maybe in the Fantastic Four one and a half, they could have like a red bird come and take the engagement ring off of her finger or something. And then Stanley would say, you know, leave it up to your imagination what happens. Right. I thought that that's what they did because there was an Untold Tales um, like miniseries for the FF. I forget what it was called, like First Family or something, where it shows what happened between like issues one and three or something. Back when they didn't have their pow, back when like they didn't have costumes or the Baxter building, mm-hmm. and in it, Reed and, Reed and Sue break up. And I was reading that like, oh, this makes perfect sense, okay. But then at the end of the miniseries, they get back together and are still engaged. Huh. And I'm like, okay. And what book so, was that? It was like First Family or something. It was a miniseries, like four issues. Okay. Some people try and say that like there's an early issue where they're having a conversation about Namor. And the dialogue can be interpreted as them ta- as them go- going on a break, but it's really ambiguous, and it still doesn't jive with the later stuff where she's like, oh, you really do love me. I, did- I never knew that. Interesting. Well, yeah. the that one – is like all over the place here. The problem that I had with this issue is that um, – with the Fantastic Four issue we're talking about is that Jack Kirby draws Peter Parker a bit like the Hammerhead. His 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 head is uh-huh. very trapezoidal, very tall forehead, and very flat across the top. I mean, Steve has a little bit of a square head thing going on in his drawings of Peter Parker, but it's like Kirby takes that to the to the extreme and almost almost caricaturing it. Um, and also, what's, what what's the issue again? By the way, uh, we're on thirty five. Okay. And also, facing that page, there's a panel with Johnny Storm where he's laughing at the thing, and he seriously looks like he's supposed to be five years old. He looks like a five-year-old boy in a little five-year-old boy's man-looking suit, you know, where everything looks smaller. And it, it just – it's as – as, as someone who likes Jack Kirby art on the Fantastic Four, that was not a good drawing of Johnny Storm. He looks like a little boy. But anyways. By the way, the college that they went to – and this is why I asked you what issue it was because I wanted to look it up real quickly. It's State U, which makes it a little more confusing because – Reed has said in the past that he's gone to Empire State University, but State U was later treated as like a different college because you even have an Untold Tales when Peter's looking at Empire State University. He talks about how the only other college that he looked at was State U, but he saw the Human Torch there. See, Human Torch, by the way, later went to Metro University. Right. He went to Metro University. They didn't go to the same school. I would have thought that State U 
would be jargon and slang or shortening or whatever you want to call it for Empire State U. Like, there's not another State U. Is there in New York? There's not. Is there a New York the, State the, University? The, 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 they're all fake colleges. At ESU, I guess SU, because it's now been retconned into a separate college. And maybe read one to both of them. Somebody else can tell me. Is Empire State University not a real university? No. Oh, John, oh it's not because I, I joked about that to my dad once, and he said, <laughs> "No, no, no." I'm sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's been part of my life since I was a little boy. <laughs> it's always been there. You poor, never, poor bastard. I never I questioned its existence. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to go hide now and turn this podcast over to somebody else. Um, I'm, can y'all make- I'm laughing at you like you're a door. <laughs> no, it's fine. It, it, that's pretty terrible of me. You ever pick up an issue of the Daily Bugle? <laughs> Not lately, no. But... Uh, yeah. They don't carry it in my town for whatever reason. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> really. No, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, this is all staying in. No, this is all staying in. The Human Torch. I, I love how they say guest star in the Human Torch on the cover, because at this point, he's appearing just about as often as, like, Liz Allen and J. Jonah Jameson. Right. And Aunt May. I mean, for these first 21 issues, how many times has he appeared? At least five. Yeah, uh, ha- even half dozen or more, and and a lot of those were just in the last few months. This is off the top of my head. There might be more I'm missing, but issue one, issue three, issue eight, the annual. <laughs> I mean, then there's lots of like shots in the crowd cameo, like issue seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. Right, that's a big one. Issue and then Spider Man showed up in Strange Tales, both in the annual and in a couple of issues. I feel like there's more that I'm just forgetting. And the, the Amazing Spider-Man annual, he like got it. Like, he first invested four, then he flew out and saw, fought him a little bit, or he saw him. And oh yeah, he, he made a he was one of the cameos in the in the Amazing Spider-Man annual. That's like, that's like ten. So that's enough. Yeah. I mean, certainly more than any other character that's you know not one of the regularly thought of supporting cast. Well, even Liz Allen can go like three or four issues without being seen for right. a while. So she can Aunt May and Jonah. They probably all outrank the torch for a number of issues they've been in, but it's a the- very well constructed relationship that way. I mean, like, yeah, he won't be appearing for a while now, but you can always go back and say, you know, these guys have had a long standing history here, here, and here. Here's why, and here's why it's a great relationship. Yeah, it's certainly enough to spawn a desire to see them team up more often. Yeah, and they played up the rivalry in other books. Like, I remember they had Johnny mention out of nowhere. And a Fantastic Four issue where they were like basically caught in an embarrassing trap. Johnny says out of nowhere, huh, if Spider-Man ever saw me like this, I'd never hear the end of it. Right. And I yeah. think it was just like, hey, get it, guys, because they're rivals. Get it. <laughs> I mean, it, get it. to me, the comment just like seemed randomly out of place. After these messages, we'll be right back. You 
Okay out there in Marvelland, face front, this is Stan Lee speaking. You've probably never heard a record like this before because no one would be nutty enough to make one with a bunch of offbeat artists, so anything is liable to happen. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, Lee? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby, say a few words to the fans, Jackson. Okay, a few words. Look, pal, I'll take care of the humor around here. You, you've been using the same gags over and over for years. Well, you can't accuse me of being fickle, can you? By the way, Jack... The readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw her bald-headed. Boy, I'm glad we caught you and you were in a good mood. Oh, Stan, do you have a few minutes? For our fabulous gal Friday? Sure. Say hello to the fans, Flo Steinberg. Hello, fans. It's very nice to meet you. As Marvel's corresponding secretary, I feel as though I know most of you from your letters. By the way, Saul Brodsky wants to say a few words. Saul Brodsky? Who's he? Stan, the fans know you have a bad memory by all the mistakes you make, but this is ridiculous. He's been your associate for years. Really? We ought to start paying him one of these days. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. And how come I don't get my name plastered all over the mags like you do? Because I can't spell it, that's why. Well, as long as you've got a good reason. Hey, what's all that commotion out there, Sol? Why, it's shy Steve Ditko. He heard you making a record and he's got Mike fright. Whoops, there he goes. Out the window again? You know, I'm beginning to think he is Spider-Man. You mean he isn't? Who said that? Just that lovable old letter of me. It's adorable Addie Simic. What brought you here? The subway. Oh, well, ask a bonehead question, Flo. Stan, Sam Rosen is on the phone. How are the letter my competitor? Just for fun, Artie, you talk to him. Hi, Sam. This is Artie. How's it going, pal? Just great, Artie. I sure admire your lettering. I admire yours, too, Sam. I think you're tops. Thanks. Well, nice talking to you. The pleasure was all mine. I never could stand that guy. Well, that's our Artie. Just imagine what Sam is saying about him now. Well, let's see who else we can get on this record. How about Chick Stone? Okay. Hi, Chick. How's tricks? Fine, Stan. I'm reading the latest story. It's great. What a thriller. Now, that's what we like to hear, Chick. Which one of our comics is it? Who's reading a comic? This is a novel about James Bond. I can't wait to finish it. Well, we're going to miss Chick around here. Oh, look who just came in. Kid Daredevil himself, Wally Wood. Is that a tape recorder, Flo? You know I'm afraid to talk into these machines. I can never think of anything to say. I'm not a big talker. I shut up like a clam. I get struck dumb. My mind goes okay, blank. Okay, okay, okay. Forget it. Boy, I'd hate to hear you when you feel like talking. Stan, Dick Ears is on the phone. Let's surprise him. Hi, Dick. We have a recorder playing, and you're talking to millions of people right now. You some kind of nut or something? I just want to tell you I want to raise. Dick, don't you understand? People are listening. You're talking to the whole world. I always knew you'd crack someday, Lee. Just my luck, it had to happen when I asked you for some more dough. Well, I'm going back to Sergeant Fury. Goodbye. Another phone call for you, Stan. Oh, not anymore. I'm getting an earache. But it's Don Heck. The idol of the Iron Man fans? The ace of the Avengers? Hi, Don. What's doing? Uh, Stan, I was just wondering, uh, wasn't I supposed to draw Iron Man last week? Sure. Why do you ask? So how come you mailed me a Patsy Walker script? Yipe! Did I do that? That's awful. Oh, well, don't worry. I'll send it back to you. That's not why I'm worried. I must have sent your script to Al Hartley. I can just imagine Iron Man looking like Patsy Walker this issue. Okay, talk to you later, Don. Don't worry about it, Stan. Don't you remember that Al Hartley used to draw adventure strips? 
It may not be too bad. Well, well, look who's here. Stan G., our demon cholera. I've been meaning to talk to you, Stan. When are you going to remember it's the Hulk who has green skin, not Captain America? Gee whiz, the guy can't remember everything. Anyway, I had to tell you what MMMS meant last week, and you're the guy who made it up. But when I forget something, it's different. Yeah, it's worse. Stan, this is the most confused record I ever heard. Great, Sol. Just what we want. If it were anything else, it wouldn't be the nutty Marvel bullpen. Gosh, we don't have time for George Bell and Vince Coletta and Larry Lieber and Bob Powell and... That's great. Now, if we ever form another club, we'll have something new to offer. Voices that haven't been heard yet. Enough said, Sol. Now, let's all get back to work in the bullpen, and as for you, marvelous Merry Marchers, welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Okay, let them hear it, gang. Whoa! March along, 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 so here we have Amazing Spider-Man 22 coming at you, released December 10th, 1964, with a March 1965 cover date. It's the first of a very few issues of Amazing Spider-Man to actually not have Spider-Man on the cover. We have the members of the Circus of Crime, or as they're called here, the Masters of Menace, cowering before the spider signal. And a huge shadow looms over them, presumably that of our hero. And it's Very, pretty very cool menacing. Cover. Very menacing. It's a pretty cool cover. I like it. But it's, it's, it may not be one of Ditko's best, but it does not have Spider-Man. And there have been very, very few covers that have not had Spider-Man. So this is one of them. Would it be improved if it had Black Cat in a you know sort of long T-shirt, barely covering her twins? I don't know, but uh, we'll just keep going. I would love to see Ditko draw a Black Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of the reasons I don't quite like this as much as some of the others is I really don't like the Circus of Crime, but that's okay. Um, well, cat- why, why don't you? I mean, they're, they're, they're classic characters. They always come back. Do they always come back? Because I don't know that they always come back. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> See, Oliver has so much more Spider-Man than I have that I have to, like, you know, go with that sort of thing. But they haven't come back in Brand New Day, therefore they're not real Spider-Man characters. And exactly. half our audience just turn off their iPods. Our captions read, Another big one from Mighty Marvel. And new thrills, new villains, new surprises. Spidey battles the clown and his masters of menace. We open up to the splash page, and the same title is at the top of the page, presenting the clown and his masters of menace. We also have our cast of villainous characters lined up before a startled Spidey. Sort of the reverse idea to what's going on in the cover. We have the crafty clown, the great Gambonos, the man called Cannonball, not to be confused with Sam Guthrie of New Mutants fame 20 years later. Well, hey! Hey, look at what I did there. Pre- <laughs> Princess Python, who is just screaming to be the subject of a series of porn videos. And <laughs> take a good look at the Ringmaster. He won't be around very long. Or will he? No, he won't. <laughs> and the credits have written by Stan Lee and illustrated by Steve Ditko and lettered by Artie Simak in big letters. With the note, we let Artie do this occasionally. It's cheaper than giving him a raise. 
Another of Lee's living legends. Another dazzling Ditko delight. And overall, it's a decent splash page. It showcases the villains, um, though maybe not in the most exciting of lights because they're just kind of lined up standing there. But it lets you know who everybody is. Turn the page and we start the story in a sleazy hotel room in a shabby hotel where some sneaky sinners are startled by the sight of a sparkling spider signal. Spider-Man swings in, interrupting the circus of crime's hangout time. They've served their time and been lawfully released, but Spidey gives them a hard time to scare them into staying straight. He then slips a spider tracer into the Ringmaster's hat band before leaving. With him gone, Ringmaster tries to coax the gang into trying their hypnosis theft routine again in another state, but they're having none of it. They're tired of his shtick and want some new ideas. Python suggests the Clown to be their new leader, who has evidently never told his co-workers his name. I don't think any of them use their real names. No, but it's just like, you know, if you work in a circus, you know, the Clown. It's like the Doctor. What's your name? Doctor Who. It's the Clown. Well, yeah, but like, the cl- I mean, nobody, no villains have real names at this point. I just think that like in most carnivals and circuses, I'd imagine they call the Clown by, you know, her or George or whatever his name is when he's not on stage. Yeah. But not these is guys. Is Princess Python being, being a bit of a Yoko here, by the way? <laughs> Maybe just a bit, yeah. As far as breaking up the band. Yeah, and you know, causing internal strife, making everyone fight. Yeah. So they basically say, screw you, Ringmaster, and throw him out of the hotel room. A few days later, at Midtown High School, we get more portents of Peter's upcoming high school graduation and entry into college life as he muses over some of Hank Pym's new biochemical discoveries and wonders what his major should be. Oh, yes. Peter he picks t- physics. I'm 90% sure it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure he picked physics. I thought it was chemistry because he says – okay, he says in the, um, the issue where Harry attacks him and Mary Jane as a Green Goblin that he's a, a – Chemistry major, I think. He's like, he's like, I'm a college it's, junior I'm, I'm, majoring in chemics, chemistry. I'll open up, I'll open up that issue right now, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that in graduate school he did physics. So I, I could be wrong, or maybe they flip flopped on it, because I'm, I want to say it was physics in graduate school. In which case, Bio, we can biophysics, either... according to uh, Marvel.com, they're really was a lot of time like, going over this one tangent, but that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Biophysics. Okay, let's see. Blah blah blah. And Mary Jane are walking home. My place or yours? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. He says I'm a college junior majoring in physics. Mary Jane. Oh, oh man. Whoops. Okay, so I, so I was right. I'm my, my geek cred stands. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Oh, Who are you though. gonna trust, me or Marvel.com? <laughs> <laughs> it's over nine thousand. Okay. It's over nine thousand. What's over nine thousand? It's over nine thousand. The Dragon Ball what Zero. is? Oh, okay. <laughs> you're like your your geek credit is over nine thousand. Peter turns down an invitation to walk Liz Allen. I wrote it with an A N. Is that right? Yes, that's okay. absolutely right. He's walking. He's uh, turning down Liz Allen to walk her home so that Betty won't be upset. The the, the canonical spelling. <laughs> the canonical spelling. Yes. Uh, and a few minutes later, Betty just happens to run into him. Yeah, good he, thing he didn't walk Liz home. Yeah. I guess randomly huh. as he's walking home. And it's kind of weird since she works in the city and he's out in Queens right now. Um, I think it's like one of those random meetings that uh, she planned. So they finally get a chance to talk about the whole Doris Evans thing from the last issue. And Peter tells Betty she's a crazy, jealous bitch. But you're also <laughs> the prettiest, nicest, most wonderful crazy bitch I know. <laughs> and I won't pretend I don't love you saying it. So now that that's <laughs> done, 
They agree Peter will accompany her on assignment to an art exhibit she's covering that night. And so, a short time later, at a plush Madison Avenue art gallery, there's a painting of stockinged foot with the toe sticking through the fabric. And Steve Ditko is in the museum wishing he could draw feet like that. Meanwhile... Oh, is that supposed to, uh, that supposed to be because it's out of the focus? Yeah. Um, he got the letter about what, how, how badly he drew feet. And there is a speech balloon going nowhere, a thought balloon going to a man behind a pillar that says, boy, I wish I could draw feet like that. And I, I'm willing to bet you my bottle of Dr. Pepper that that's supposed to be Steve Ditko there. That's always what the speculation's been. I'm just Otherwise, it's just like really out of context. Right, like like an in-joke or something. Uh, it's not listed. Oh, yeah, 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 here it is. Other characters. It's listed in the index, therefore it's canon. Steve Ditko behind pillar admiring foot painting. So that's what he looks like. <laughs> he looks like a pillar. <laughs> now you know. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, just outside the crowded gallery, we find the crime circus folks. They use Cannonball's helmeted head to bust open a rear entry. And the clown unicycles into the gallery to distract the public while the rest of the circus steal artwork from a back room. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's pretty What's pretty... up in the rear entry, huh? Oh, the rear entry. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I'm nine, I'm nine years old. My bad. <laughs> but there's usually someone around to spoil what seems to be a perfect plan. In this case, that someone is Peter Parker who gives the clown the evil eye while he tries to figure out what to do. The clown starts overcompensating, <clears throat> and Jameson notices the theft going on in back. He tries to stop the crime circus, but gets a cannonball to the head for his trouble. Conk! Oh. Yeah. That's the big, uh, that's the big uh, sound effect. Conk! <laughs> uh, real quick, though, I love, I love the idea that this whole master, masterminded criminal scheme is going on. Basically, steal all the paintings while I distract them by riding on a unicycle. Right. I'm gonna hey, go everybody, get... look at me. <laughs> Don't well, look at the I man mean, behind the curtain. If someone was on a unis, I mean, that's actually a, a pretty good plan, if not stupid. But I mean, but they're like they're hey, not hiding; they're just around stupid. the corner. Like anyone could just look over there and see them, and that's what happens to Jameson in a second. It's like you have to do it, something it, to distract him. It's like a Simpsons joke. It's like you know, hey, it's the clown, and he's doing stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, like literally. The police arrive and get Jameson to the hospital. After which, Peter takes Betty home and. Exactly ten seconds after Betty Brant's door closes behind her, Spider-Man leaps into action to find the Ringmaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ten seconds later, and the panel is him web-swinging, fully dressed as Spider-Man. Like, that had to have been, like, really fast. Spider-Speed. I, I just want to know, like, whenever Betty comes out of her house and sees Peter's clothes on her doorstep. Oh, my. <laughs> it's, it's, it's some Liz Allen must be behind this somehow. Peter's been cheating on me with Spider-Man. And there's a note from Stan for the five-year-old reading the book. For those of you who haven't been paying strict attention, we want to remind you that Spidey still doesn't know that the Ringmaster and his little gang split up. Using you his... say for the five-year-old, did you say that to Lily when you first read the story years ago? Well, I read her the note whenever we read it, so... And I, I can't remember if she remembered what was going on at that point or not. I, she, she's pretty savvy, she probably remembered. Using his handheld electronic gizmo, he tracks his spider tracer to the police station. So note, he's not using his spider sense to do that yet. Where we see that the Ringmaster has just finished answering questions about the heist and demonstrating that he had no hand in it. Spidey's confused why Ringmaster is just allowed to leave the police station. So he follows him to an apartment. He overhears him muttering out loud, as you do, concerning the circus of crime operating without him. So he enters through the window, grabs the Ringmaster's hypno-hat, 
makes what seems to me to be a very obscure Beatles reference, and then hypnotizes the ringmaster with his own hat. What was the obscure Beatles? I I didn't catch it. Okay, what did you think about this, Josh? Say, ringmaster, do your friends ever call you Ringo for short? And ringmaster reacts, well, who, who said that? One thing's sure, it's not Tuesday Weld. I still don't get it. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't get the Tuesday Weld thing. Yeah, I, I googled her, and I couldn't find a very strong connection to the Beatles. Like, they thought maybe she um, was, I don't know, an influence on their music or something in the 60s. I couldn't quite tell. But no. Are there, like, a thousand influences on the Beatles' music? Then? Yeah, there, there, there's a thousand influences, and some people claim to be influences are, and Tuesday Weld's just some obscure thing. Okay. I don't think that's, I don't think that Stan would have known. Well, it's interesting because this is another example of the plot where the plot is moved forward by a guy talking to himself and someone hearing what he's saying all by, all by himself in his room. He's talking to himself. And Simon's like, is that so? So he gets a lead on where they might be. And then while the ringmaster stands there staring into the neural neutralizer, neural neutralizer, Spider-Man calls the hospital to check on Jonah, who is still unconscious and going in for the x-rays. Betty is the one who answers the phone, and she thinks, that sounded like someone speaking through a mask. <laughs> and now I have to ask you, can you tell that I'm talking through a mask? I was just about to say, yeah, you sound really muffled now. I was like, did he just put on a mask and talk <laughs> to the mic? I totally did. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but I can hear you. I can tell that it's you. Right, you can well, tell that like, did, did you buy a mask? Know? Like, just like just for just for this purpose, like you spent like twenty bucks at the costume shop just for a one-off gag on a podcast. <laughs> Do you remember really the first Spider-Man thing. movie where he meets Mary Jane and he saves her from falling and starts talking to her? It didn't even, it didn't sound like Peter McGuire had a mask on because he could hear his voice clearly. So I'm wondering how muffled can a mask be? And a little bit because John just proved. Well, you got to think that not only does Peter let his voice be muffled, he probably also like you know changes it a little bit. Makes he did it in the 60s cartoon, yeah. His, his voice was already really deep. I mean, <laughs> she says it sounds like somebody's speaking through a mask, and I guess it, you can tell when somebody's maybe speaking through a mask. But you could still tell it was me, so she still should have been able to tell it was Peter. But what- Well, I think, were, were phone lines, like, not as clear back then? Like, Warren voice is, like, a lot more, I don't want to say staticky, but you know what I mean. Like, what, you, what do you mean your phone? People, wasn't it not as clear? I think you're right, because, like, it, it, it's sort of like television, the picture... The picture quality isn't as clear, so the sound quality probably isn't as clear. You can still hear them, but you can you can't make them out as well. So maybe she's just yeah. saying that, and it, she could say that about anybody. Oh, it sounds like you're talking through a mask, and they're just like, you know, it's just the phone. Back when their cell phones had cords. I yeah. Think that, yeah. I think that Betty just says that whenever someone's on the phone, this person sounds like they're talking through a mask. And it's Ned Leeds. When she got off the phone with Aunt May last issue, she thought, that's funny. Aunt May sounded like she was talking through a mask. As she was sobbing, she's like, hey, Aunt May sounds like she was talking through a mask. Where's <laughs> And not very far away, the Circus of Crime decides they are now to be called the Masters of Menace. 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 <laughs> Okay. Just in the time. Insidious Six. <laughs> oh yes. The Legion of Losers. Wait, what? Hey, Bobby. We used to be X Men. So how about the X X Men? Uh, yeah. No, fail. Amazing Friends. Yeah, Pilot I, episode. I had never heard that. I mean, I, I'm sure I heard it whenever I saw the Amazing Friends when I was, you know, three. But um, I don't remember it. I remember it from just like from being a little kid and thinking, wow, that is a stupid line. <laughs> the only things I remember from the Amazing Friends are the opening sequ- the, the portion of the opening credits 
where it's like a triptych. Spider-Man's in the middle, Firestar's on one side, and Bobby's on the other. And Bobby, like, ices up a wall in front of himself and busts out of it, and he's Iceman. And Firestar, like, turns into this big blazing light, and then she's Firestar. And I forget what Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. And in the very end, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And that's all the guy says. Do 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 transforming room which has like a bunch of secret equipment that they never use. So Spider-Man jumps in and attacks, and he does pretty well for a couple of pages before Princess Python wraps her lithe little arms around his. And Spidey, being either sexist or gallant, you take your pick, won't use force against a female. So he's pretty much stuck against a wall because she's holding his hands. I love, I love that they always point out the fact that she's a female. Like, later on, the clown calls her, you double-crossing female? Like, In case you couldn't tell from the breasts. <laughs> yeah, or, or that's a controversial thing to be. Just she's a the, female. Just then, Betty Brandt walks in and, like, walks <laughs> off the grind. <laughs> Liz might have touched your hair, but she's touching your hands. Woohoo! I'm going to go right to Ned Leeds now. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Ringmaster's apartment, the slightly swaying hypnotic at continues to hold him in its spell. But nothing lasts forever. Not even the adhesive webbing of Amazing Spider-Man. Thus, suddenly, it falls... And so slowly, sinisterly, sinisterly, is that a word? The gleam of intelligence begins to return to the cold, malevolent eyes of the ringmaster. That's a creepy face. Yes. One of his eyes is lower than the other. Yeah, it is. That's kind of weird. He's not symmetrical like he should be. (laughs) Why is Betty Brent wearing gloves? Is she wearing gloves? Where? When she's at the hospital with Jameson on, on the same page with the ringmaster's face. Oh, yeah. Well, she's not wearing gloves in the first panel, and then she is in the second panel. That's yeah, really weird. Like, she's like, like oh, what's up with that? She's wearing like, Mickey Mouse gloves. Maybe women wear <laughs> gloves. I mean, she is in the off. hospital. Well, she's getting ready to leave now, right? So she's put on her gloves and she's getting ready to go. I mean, you know, she might catch something from Jonah's, you know, concussion. <laughs> yeah, she might catch the coma disease. Betty believes in latex protection, even yes. on even for gloves. So yeah, speaking of Betty, she's uh, patiently in a hot, quiet hospital room, keeping her lonely vigil. Poor Jonah. No one in this entire world has come to visit him in the hospital. It's because nobody this, else works at the bugle at this I, point. I, I was about to say, didn't Josh say this a few episodes back? Like, you know, this is an example of no one else working at the bugle. Well, they did it in the it, annual. And didn't we have? Yeah, I know. It's 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 nameless background characters. Like now, you'd have Lori Grant, Robbie. Uh, you know, some some other report, like you know, Angela Chen. Chen. Yeah, you you you'd have you can Wait, probably have five or six different like yeah. <laughs> now, like back then, the bugle was Peter, Betty, and Jonah. Now you'd have like people that you know were pretending. Well, even then, because you, you said how many people? I mean, Robbie would always be there, but now not so much. So the doctor comes in with the news that Jonah isn't seriously injured and should be waking up any time. Betty wants to tell Peter, but wonders why Peter hasn't been around. Okay. That's enough of a pause for you. Now it's time to get back to our web-spinning boy wonder who, in the next page or so, proceeds to knock out the entire team. Except for Princess Python, who has run off into another room. And the clown, who's playing possum. Princess this Python... It's my favorite part of the issue. Yeah. She tries to seduce Spider-Man into a team, <laughs> offering to double-cross the rest of the Earth team. balloon! He found me! My only chance is to take advantage of being a female. <laughs> I, I just imagine Stan writing this like, with his tongue out in his mouth. Like, How? Dare you come in here? 
That was one of uh, Lily's favorite parts of the story. We're going to have a segment from her. <laughs> but yeah, she thought that was great. It's time to take advantage of being a female. Well, what would be, be taking advantage of being a male? I shudder to think. <laughs> Rape. <laughs> Spider-Man, as Spider-Man's thinking, aha, I have it right where I want her now to take advantage of being a male. <laughs> she, found, oh God. she found me my only chance is to take advantage of being a male how dare you come in here oh man okay so Clam, uh, yeah 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 so <laughs> she's seducing him and she wants to uh, double cross the rest of the team and split the money with them clown overhears this and is not pleased you tell me double crossing no good female female Meanwhile, Ringmaster's <laughs> eyes finish getting their gleam of intelligence back, and he runs off to find the circus and show them a thing or two, and the plainclothes cop outside his apartment follows him. He's committed no crime. No, but he they think he might do. Yeah. And they're right. I mean, I don't know. As the top-hatted hypnotist races to the gloomy warehouse, Spidey confesses a crush on Sophia Lauren just before Princess Python coaxes him back into an extra room, where she keeps her namesake... A monstrously large python. Porn, anybody? Spidey wards off his attack, trying not to harm it, but dodges in such a way as to get the snake to tie itself in a knot. Now, I was skeptical about this, so I googled, and it turns out that this can happen. Snakes can tie themselves in a knot. They learned the skill at Empire State University. No, no, but... um, (laughs) 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 But but it's not a trap. It's actually extremely easy for them to untangle themselves. So Spidey then gives chase to Princess Python. And just around the corner, the clown is making off with all the paintings. When the ringmaster slugs him and takes the paintings for himself. But... Exactly one second later, he emerges. One second, he commits the crime. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he's, he's, been, he's been clean the whole issue, and then, like, he steals the paintings one second later. He so. emerges from the warehouse to find several policemen waiting for him. And coming up fast in the home stretch, we find Spidey corralling the princess right into the hands of the police. And he even gets pictures of the Masters of Menace being arrested. Hooray! The police, they're right in front of me, and Spider-Man's right behind! You're lucky. Other girls sitting at home tonight with nothing to do. That's fine. <laughs> and so a short time later, Peter arrives at the Bugle to find Jonah recovered and Betty back in the office. He gets his picks sold and all is well, except much, much later that night, he arrives at home to dun, find dun, Aunt dun. May waiting up for him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> she is very peeved that he was out so late and can't explain what he was doing. Now... What? It's probably like 6.30 at night or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just going strictly by the text of the book, there's a big gap of time between delivering the pictures to the bugle and arriving at home. So you know what I think? I think he went back to Betty's place and got his spider groove on. That's what I think. Well, except that Jameson says that they got to see the art pictures all over again. Yes to what? Uh, <laughs> you dirty man. You yeah, I should put out... We've got to plan an art exhibit. Oh, no, right away. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess. Okay, so I guess that's the joke about much, much later that night. But the ending caption says that he was out all night fighting supervillains. And I don't see any supervillains. Maybe on the way home there's, like, some untold tales of him fighting Electro and Sandman and the and Beetle maybe, again. And maybe he gets laid there. And, well, and, 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 you know, gives the Human Torch a wedgie and... Uh, I mean, I, I I like to joke about it. I mean, you know, in this era, but I really don't think that Peter and Betty did anything until issue one eighty nine. 
I can dream, can't I? I mean, just the way that their relationship is. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I, I, but yeah. With her, with her, you know, you know, like Egyptian queen haircut and him with this flat top over New York. So yeah, it it is ironic that a superhero is getting yelled at by their aunt. But in case you don't know that it's ironic, tell us the truth now. Admit it. Have you ever seen? Any other costume superhero whose aunt had him on the carpet because he stayed out late fighting sinister arch villains? Of oh, course not. It's not over yet. They, they finished the thought for you. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with old Spidey, this is just the beginning of all the surprises in store for you. They, they, they made a point of doing this a lot. Like whenever they would do something daring and different, instead of letting the audience say it was daring and different, they'd have like the characters pointed out. Oh, by the Tell way, us how this, right here, this is daring and different. Tell us how daring and different we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. like th- th- that early issue of the Fantastic Four that I bring up sometimes where they're hitchhiking. And Reed Richards is like, ho, 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 when I used to read comics when I was a kid, the superheroes never had to hitchhike. <laughs> this is nothing like comic books that we read when we were kids. Like, they actually would say that. No, it's funny. Isn't this ironic, guys? Because it's a superhero, but they're getting yelled at by their aunt, which isn't very superheroic, is it? <laughs> They're okay, playing so with your expectations. It's really clever. But, but, I mean, but, but no, not, not not to be a little stand. I'm sure that back in the day, this was very groundbreaking. Way to cover your ass there, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and now to hit off our discussion of issue 22, here is once again, by popular demand, my daughter, Lily Wilson. My favorite part of the story was when Princess Python at the end as she says, took over the advantage of being a lady. One of my least favorite parts was when the ringmaster got hypnotized by his own hat. That was stupid. Clown would probably have been a better leader. I mean, I definitely want to see the circus again. My favorite member of the circus was Princess Python. Because she's a lady. Because she's a female. The art was so funny. Especially when the guy said, Man, I wish I could draw a foot as good as this. I think the Masters of Menace, they could have thought up a better name. I like the Circus of Crime better. I thought Jenna was going to survive because I've read future stories. It was funny how Spider-Man turned the python into a knot. I don't think a real snake could tie itself into a knot. And it was funny at the end how Peter kind of got into trouble. Thanks for listening. Bye. And thank you, everyone, for your support of Lily's efforts in the show. She always enjoys being on. So we do have some first appearances in this book. Um, Princess Python, whose real name is Zelda Dubois, and her pet python. Oh, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like a porn stick. Yeah. And uh, first that we forgot to mention before was the Great Gambonos. They were not in the Ringmaster's first Hulk story. Their first appearance was Amazing Spider-Man 16. And their real names are Luigi and Ernesto Gambono. Though I don't know when any of these names get revealed because my index does not say. Does uh, Cannon ever come back? Cannonball? Cannonball, yeah. All of them come back. They're all in an Avengers issue. And then they're in a Spider-Man again. Avengers 22, they're all in that. Except for Princess Python, who is next in... um, First, uh, first, first female villain that Spider-Man ever fought, by the way. Oh, yeah. And we see... And they, they make sure we know about it because, you know, she takes advantage of being a female. 
he says he can't fight a female. And Which Stan every- forgets because when he fights Medusa, or no, what, if not either Medusa or the Black Widow, he says, I want to say it's Medusa. He's like, I've never fought a woman before. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it is. Like, whichever the Medusa or Black Widow. I, th- I, I think it's Medusa because Black Widow, I think, was much later. I don't know if it was much later, but I, I think it yeah. was Medusa first. Yeah. Uh, Princess Python's Python actually later, later wound up um, in the Savage Land. And that's how you found out why it was so big, because it was bred in the Savage Land. That's and it interesting. Was actually, and it was actually, oh, no, I'm making that up. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the bus all laughing. hate it when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these guys don't appear in Spider-Man. I'm looking at Princess Python's chronology. And unless, you know, she breaks off from the rest of the circus and there are circus stories without her, they're in Avengers and Thor and Captain America and Power Man and Howard the Duck. But the only other Spider-Man <laughs> <Howard the> she's <laughs> in is Amazing Spider-Man Annual 98. There's a 98 annual? Oh, and there's oh, a spider sp- issue of Spider-Man team-up. Oh, okay, okay. That annual you guys are talking about, that was done in, in the year 1998, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just, just so I don't go crazy. And I'm looking up the Ringmaster just because I didn't realize these guys were never in Spider-Man again. The Ringmaster, yeah, no Spider-Man appearances until Spider-Man Team Up number five. These, these, guys were, you know. <laughs> these, these guys were never my favorite anyway. Actually, yeah, this was usually like an issue that I didn't end up liking, but like reading it, reading yeah. it recently, I, I find it a lot really funny. Just mainly, just mainly because like the the foibles of Princess Python and how she like just <laughs> exploit. It, it's a it's a very sexist way to, to go about her character, but it's, I find it really hilarious. And she almost on last Peter Parker. Yeah. Um. I like how Peter and Betty in this issue actually <laughs> act like, you know, human being, adults maybe. Like, she shows up and she's like, hey, I want to talk about a misunderstanding. He's like, yeah, it was just a misunderstanding. My bad. Yeah, Peter, I'm just too jealous sometimes. Hey, it's okay. I love you the way you are. And then, like, they have no conflict the rest of the issue. This is very rare. Right. <laughs> right. But then that, like, people with souls. Like, maybe never happening again. Yeah, no, this will never happen again. <laughs> I mean, this this is not only rare for Peter and Betty. This is rare for Silver Age couples in general. Right. It's rare for characters in Marvel because we list off all the like every every comic book had a love time pretty, pretty much. Warren Washington, Jean Grey, and Scott Summers. I'm still kind of flamboozled over the fact that the the Circus of Crime never came back because they were in two Ditko issues. I just thought they would have come back, but they did not in Spider Man. That really does. Uh, I mean, that honestly doesn't surprise me because. <laughs> I guess having read those first 20 so often and then seeing them back again as soon as I started reading new issues or not new issues, but as soon as I started reading further a couple years ago and I got to 22 and something <laughs> there, I was just surprised now to find out that they've never come back again because they're just part of Spider-Man to me. I mean, you know when you think I'm... about it, um, like Spider-Man pretty much beats the crap out of I mean, the only reason he had trouble with Princess Python is because he's a, he's a teenage kid who can't handle, you know, strong women. But uh, like like literally, there are panels of like them ganging on Spider-Man. Spider-Man just like takes them out. So there's not much story element you can do with a bunch of goobers just up as circus performers, where Spider-Man just like you know, has to punch has to punch them, and that's about it. While the circus won't come back to Spider-Man, Sophia Loren references do come back. I I tend to think that either Lee or Dicko, probably Lee, had a thing for Sophia Loren because she would be mentioned a few more times. Uh, issue thirty comes to mind where Flash and Peter arguing over Liz again, and he's like, "You have mm-hmm. as much of a chance with Liz as I have with Sophia Loren." Right. No, no, I remember. I remember those. Yeah. 
What do you think that would be like? Like if that was updated in, in future reprints? You have as much of a chance with Liz as I have with uh, Megan Carrie Fox. Fisher. Megan Fox. Carrie Fisher's a bit old Car- now. Carrie Fisher. Well, I'm thinking about like, like during like, each and each Maybe decade. In 1970. <laughs> in the 80s, it would be. In 1970, she was a minor. So let's go with 1980. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, Kim Basinger <laughs> in the 80s. In the 90s, Britney Spears. Well, maybe in the 90s, Britney Spears. No, when did she hit? Late, uh, in, in, mid to late 90s. Really? That long ago? I yeah. graduated high school in 97. I don't think she was around then. Um, she was, If not then, like a year. I remember 97, 98, you know. Okay, I'm going to Google Hit Me Baby one more time. God help me. We bring it all to you on Amazing Spider-Man Classics. I'm Wikipediaing Britney Spears right now. Hit me, baby, one more Years time. active, 1992 to present. Baby One More Time was 98. You are so right. That's weird. That's really bizarre for me. In this month's Spider's Web, uh, Kenneth Gallagher agrees with the Vulture that the Sinister Six should have gangbanged on Spidey instead of going one at a time. The editor agrees but asks, but what could we ever do for an encore? That's also what the Vulture said, right? Yeah, so I was saying that that was the Vulture's idea was to go all together, and Letter Writer agreed. Also, Bob Sankner wrote to congratulate the editors on giving a free subscription to a blind letter-writing fan whose brother reads him the comics. This had evidently been in a previous letter call. I couldn't find the letter. And it's like it's just the sort of thing that I would read and I would bring to the show. So I almost think that he's talking about some other magazine. He doesn't specifically say Spider-Man. It's just this one is printed in the Spider-Man book. So I don't know. I don't know when that happened. <laughs> then there's uh, Wendy Bell, an English major at Ohio Wesleyan University. She says that she wallows in old literature all day and loves to kick back with Marvel Comics. So yay for girls who like comics. Yay! And we actually have, you know, I know that we have at least a couple of girls in the uh, um, listening audience. There's one in the Facebook group. And someone using the screen name Novice Girl commented on our very first uh, blog post on the Lipson page when our first episode went up. So unless they're the same person, there's at least a couple out there. So yay, girls listening to my show. That makes me happy. Yeah. Hope you like, uh, hope you like our thoughts on Betty and Liz. <laughs> hope you're still listening <laughs> to the show. There are actually two ad pages this month. The first one has Journey into Mystery 113, where Thor unmasks for Jane Foster. And Sergeant Fury 15, where Sergeant Fury leads men under his command in their fight against Nazis. Big surprise there. They do get a new young mascot this issue, though. And there's another page this month advertising Tales of Suspense number 63, which retells Captain America's origin and has Iron Man fighting the Phantom. And I know that I've read this issue, but I can't for the life of me remember who or what the Phantom was. So I was about to say, like, how many of these obscure lost 60s Marvel villains are all in, you know, continuity graves? <laughs> I've not heard of half of these. Yeah. If I recall the Jane Foster thing, that was like one of the like first times that they like got rid of the traditional girlfriend as opposed to like Superman who's you know always had the lowest lane or whatever right like Marvel Marvel eventually would like have their heroes go through love interests like Bond girls instead of like having the traditional one around and with Jane Foster the status quo was I think she was like Don Blake's nurse like because he was a doctor and she was the right. nurse right and he, he wanted to marry her but he wasn't allowed to reveal his identity because like the gods won't let him so eventually he got permission to propose to her and like reveal his identity, but she had to pass some sort of test for the gods first. So I think he took her to took her to Asgard, yep. Yeah, he took her to Asgard and she like she failed the test. So then they like stripped her mind of his identity. Aww. It's actually it's actually it's actually kind of funny. It's like a subversion. It's like, <laughs> 
It's like she 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 fails the test, so they don't get married. The funny thing that. is that Thor is all sad and depressed that he has lost Jane Foster and that Odin has forever you know barred them from being together. And later that issue, he meets Sif, and he's like, "Ah, <laughs> yeah, he is like that." What what happened to um? Is he still Don Blake in the comics, or they they completely done away with that? Uh, and the whole so ever since the new the current Thor series that started that JMS started with number one, he brought back Don Blake. Oh, cool. That's very un-JMS of him, but cool, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, what I, I what happened to Don Blake? I honestly haven't read much beyond like the first issue or two. Um, but as far to my to my understanding, and Thor fans, please write us in and correct us if we're wrong. Thor went away after Avengers disassembled, and he went back to being Don. Whenever, whenever he died in Ragnarok, there he went back to being Don Blake on Earth. And the first Thor story that JMS did was all about him going back and finding the hammer and becoming Thor again. It's just interesting because I don't, I really honestly don't imagine Thor with a double identity because the double identity is identified by a separate persona. Like, you know, even with Superman, there's Clark Kent who has a life. So Don Blake, I just know of through the origin, but I don't ever picture Don, Don Blake. Like, it's sort of like, I don't know, Bruce Banner and the Hulk. But so I have no idea. Like, like where has he been? Like, like are they going to do in the movie or anything? So all of this is like question marks to me. I'd imagine that the closest they're going to come in the movie is to having, like, possibly giving Thor a pseudonym so he can, like, say to a police officer what his name is or something like that. I don't think they're yeah. going to actually try to give him an identity. Uh, to which all, all, all the fans will cheer. Whenever they do call-outs in, like, the movie, everyone in the movie theater always like, yeah! Like when they said that at the very end of Iron Man 1, is it, what is he, my bodyguard or something? Oh! I like that. That, was, that made me smile. Oh, no, that was nice. That was nice. Yeah. So, um, also in the uh, ads, we have um, Strange Tales number 130 with the defeat of Doctor Strange on the cover. Uh, looks like it's at the hands of Baron Mordo. And also, the torch and the thing meet the Beatles. Have you read this issue, Bertone Beetle? I think somebody showed me scans of it a while ago. I could be wrong, but I'm thinking that they did not actually wind up meeting the Beatles in there. Like, they were going to go to a concert, but something happened. But it's been a long time. They're too busy meeting Batman and Robin over in the seventies. <laughs> the oh, ad that wasn't that wasn't the Beatles. That that was no, the, that no, was wasn't the Beatles. Wasn't it was yeah, like a exactly. copyright safe version. Like they they weren't called <laughs> the Beatles, but but it was like it was very clearly the Beatles. Yeah, That's you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where they're supposed to be dead or something. Yeah. The ad also includes Daredevil Six, where he's up against the Fellowship of Fear, which includes Mister Fear himself, as well as the Eel and the Ox on the vacation eel. from the Enforcers. <laughs> Speaking of forgotten villains, the yeah, eel. eel, Daredevil Six. Uh, he's got he. No, no, he doesn't. He he was still in the yellow suit in issue six. No, he's red now, and he, he changes uh, in five. I'm does the issue start out with him changing his costume, or like it's in the middle of the issue? No, I'm looking at the cover of issue six, and he's in a yellow suit. Is he really? Am I totally wrong? Did he change six. after this? I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a cover gallery. He oh yeah, here's issue yeah. Six. Okay, I didn't I didn't have the ad. <laughs> I didn't have the ad in front of me. I just had the description that I wrote down. But yeah, he's in the yellow suit. So I guess he changes in seven. I always thought I always had the number five in my head is when he changed suits. But I guess he changes in seven. Yeah. But yeah, here we have the ox who has left the enforcers, I guess, since they're currently doing, you know, nothing. We're not going to see the enforcers for a very long time. They would have a few more appearances in various incarnations. The, the ox would. But he wouldn't show up again in a Spider-Man book until over 13 years later in 1978. And finally, there's an issue being advertised, the Fantastic Four number 36 that has a somewhat famous, or at least unique, Spider-Man cameo. So let's talk about that. 
He steals a cake. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happens? Yeah, it was released on the same date as the issue we just discussed. It features a party celebrating the engagement of Susan Storm to Reed Richards from the issue before. All the super teams have been invited. We see one panel of Spidey's hand popping in a window and snagging a piece of cake with his web. As if he's thinking that, and he thinks they would have invited me, but they probably didn't know how to contact me. That's why they didn't invite me. Right. Yeah, it's not like not, even torturing him have a super meeting place or anything. Well, n- not not because the last time there was a party, aka Dory Evans, Spider Man crashed it. Not because right before you and Reed got engaged, you went out on a date with Spider Man. Not because the last four times you've t- you've seen the torch, you guys have gone in the fights. <laughs> you know, it's issue twenty one, and then chronologically issue eight, and then annual ninety six, and then. None of those reasons are, are and, right. And then you tangle with the whole FF in issue eight. Then you know you you made a play for Sue twice in issue eight and in and in Untold Tales Annual ninety six. Well, truth be told, if he, if he, if none of that had happened, would Fantastic Four really invite him? Because as we all know, the Fantastic Four are jerks. Are jerks. Well, they invited everyone else. They did invite everyone else. Right? <laughs> if you're going to invite Giant Man, you might as well invite Spider Man. Right? <laughs> oh, there's a quote. <laughs> Um, I was going to make a joke about Giant Man and Wasp at the party, but then I remembered. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe maybe she gets drunk and slaps him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Acknowledging all that, he also grabs the cake with his web. Wouldn't that be gross? Well, who's ingested web fluid before, besides Venom? Okay, maybe he just, like, ripped the little pieces of cake that had web fluid on it off. Yeah, maybe he does pulled the web off the cake and just the, the outer crust that was touching the web came off with it. Maybe he, he like really wanted to be included. So like, <laughs> it wasn't the fact that like he was eating cake. It's just like meant eating cake from the party meant that he was at the party. It was more of like a status thing than the thing of actually eating cake. Now, after he snags the cake, he says this whole thing about inviting him. And then he says, Oh, I better leave. There's some kind of ship coming. He's referring to the ship carrying the frightful four, which is of course the wizard paste pot. Sandman. Medusa and the Sandman, and this is a notable issue because it takes the Sandman out of Spider-Man's sandbox and lets him play with the Fantastic Four for a very long time. We're not going to have Sandman again on this set, on this show, except for maybe occasional cameos, until the 1972 Marvel team-up number one. Oh, because, you know, I knew that Sandman and Electro are both villains from the Ditko era, which don't appear for a long time, so... So he was over in uh, F4. I mean, I mean, I knew he was, but I didn't know that that was the reason. Yeah, yeah, he joined the Frightful it's also, Four. It's also the first appearance of Medusa, uh, yeah. you know, and, and the first appearance of an Inhuman. That's the name of her race when I say of an Inhuman. Like, I don't right. mean that she's a nasty person, although she kind of was. Well, um, how long was it before they introduced Black Bolt? That was going to be it, just before the Galactus trilogy, so like 45, 46. Yeah, in fact, like, Medusa... The way they had it was, like, she was kind of amnesic, and then, like, eventually she kind of remembered and she found the rest of the Inhumans, and Johnny was following her. Because before Crystal, they were kind of, I don't want to say playing up a Johnny-Medusa romance, but you got the hints that Johnny had a thing for Medusa, and they kind of pulled a Batman issue one thing where Johnny purposely lets her get away. What? Batman issue yeah. one. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Bat- like, Catwoman Batman Batman issue one. Yeah, yeah, he, like, he's like, whoops, Robin, I accidentally tripped you. Oh, well, yeah. I guess Catwoman's <laughs> getting away. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking t- Detective 27, but yeah, I, guess, I know I'm on board now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to the end of those comics that were released in the year 1964. 
which brings us to another year in review. 1964 was a year that opened with the first Beatles album released in America and the government admitting that smoking might be bad for you. And it ended with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize and the release of Goldfinger in theaters. And it also brought us a plethora of Spider-Man stories. Betty Brant lost her brother and possibly secret lover, Bennett. <laughs> she also rejected that was this year. That feels that feels like it was like longer ago. No, it was the first story this year. She also rejected Octopus's advances, and so he unmasked Spider-Man in revenge. Mysterio <laughs> returned from the Tinkerer's basement and exchanged his green alien mask for a goldfish bowl to plague the webhead. The Green Goblin took Spider-Man to Hollywood and then to New Mexico, so the Enforcers could hit him on the head with a rock. <laughs> Egghead and the Hulk showed up. (laughs) And the Hulk showed up just for grins. Egghead lured the webhead into a fight with the giant man and the wasp, who of course came to hate him because wasps and spiders are natural enemies. Of course. Chameleon introduced us to the only man he knew, foolish enough to go after Spider-Man, his old friend Craven the Hunter, (laughs) and secret and, and secret brother, secret brother. Foggy Nelson and Karen Page took their little blind friend Matt Murdock to watch a circus. (laughs) <laughs> the Sinister Six kidnapped Betty and accidentally opened the door to love between Otto Octavius and May Parker. Sometimes when we touch. <laughs> Spidey quit while fighting the goblin. He ran scared from the Sandman and then he struck back at the Sandman and the Enforcers so hard he scared them all out of his book for years to come. The Scorpion put on his green suit because there were no symbiotes available. And the beetle got in the way of Peter making it to first base with Doris Evans. And finally, the circus struck back, but clowned around too much to succeed. So, (laughs) with these 14 stories from which to choose, what would you say was your favorite issue of the year? This is a great year, actually. um, I'm going to have to go with issue 17. And, I mean, a lot of it is sentimental reasons. Because, like I said, it was one of the first ones that I read, but... I mean, there's just so much with that, with the fan club meeting and, you know, Betty's dishonest honesty where she's going to, like, wait to do the phone call. You know, you got the classic Betty versus Liz, the goblins there, the torches there, Dory's being a shrew, Aunt May's, you know, Aunt May's kneeling over dying. As you do. As you do. <laughs> I, gotta say, I mean, there are so many moments. I love issue 20. I love issue 17, like Josh said. But um, I got to say with issue 21, I, I, issue 21 is, like, one of my... It's probably it's probably it's probably gonna be at least in my top twenty Spider-Man stories just because it's like for a Stanley Steve Dicko story it really really holds up in my opinion right like, it really like, does. Like, serious storytelling you forgot to mention in your year in review <laughs> Aunt May reminds Peter that he's not engaged as she tries to get him to meet the ungodly next door girl oh yeah yeah I was just pulling out a key beat from each book but yeah that's definitely a key moment from this uh, year very key first uh, mention of Mary Jane. What, what year is Mary Jane introduced? Is that 66? She is first 67. seen in issue number 43. At the end of 42. And mm-hmm. going into 43. And that would be 1966. God, they're really, they're really dragging this out. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is going to be... Well, okay. The whole issue 17 through 19 trilogy was really, really big for me. But the annual, uh, the Sinister Six annual, was such... Uh, a, a missing story and then whenever I finally read it I was so 
pleased with it that that really you know stands out in my mind as a, as a great moment of the year. So I'm going to go with the annual. Okay, so and maybe in that issue or another, did you have like a favorite moment, like 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 a, a beat or, or a character interaction or something that you really liked? It's really hard to say. I mean, each. I mean, I can't really pick one moment unless it's for like each different character. Like for example, like for Jonah, I'd have to say my moment for him is that like those three panels in issue 19 where he slowly realizes like that <laughs> Spider-Man's back in action. My favorite moment for Aunt May would be most of annual one because she's just <clears throat> so funny and oblivious to everything. <laughs> favorite moment, favorite moment for Betty and Liz respectively would be issue 17 just because their their cattiness towards each other. It's so morale. <laughs> what about you, Don? Did you have a favorite moment or moments from the, from the year? I really liked the fight scenes in, uh, uh, Amazing Twenty. I think the fight scenes like ever since the night, issue seventeen, it's getting better and better and better. I like uh, I like the scene between the Human Torch and uh, Peter Parker in issue twenty one. Conversely, I also like the scene where Peter is like taking his frustration out on two hapless cinder blocks, and I think that that those two will probably be my favorites. I'm going to go outside the lines on this one um, and say that my favorite moment was the boundary between issues twenty and twenty one. Because that was my final frontier of my Spidey knowledge from this era for over 20 years. And it has been so cool to be able to read past that point these last couple of years. So um, that, that's what I want to go with. There have been, of course, lots of good character moments, but I want to go with that. Uh, did you have a least favorite issue? Circus of Crime, maybe. The one we just did? Or the uh, Daredevil one? Really both of them. Like, you know, it's just those were just kind of, all kind of meh for me. Yeah, it might, even though I recapped it, it might be might be issue sixteen because it's not. It's just it's just like a, like just kind of like oh Daredevil is here, watch Spider Man fight for like ten pages and how quirky is that? I mean it's it's not bad but it's like it, it kind of comes up short compared to other stuff. Um, Tales to Astonish number fifty seven, uh, the the giant man wasp one. That plot was just so ridiculous and the wasp was beyond <laughs> silly. Although I have to say that the Avengers 11 is a pretty close second because the Avengers 11 co-starring Spider-Man and it's a spider fracking robot. But anyways, that's just me. Were there any moments in the life of Spidey this year, something you really could have gone without ever reading? Like, uh, like a Spider-Man moment or, or something in the, in the story that you're like, oh my gosh, that just should not have been put in the book. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, quite, like, I quite like a lot of what's been going on. Just any time Peter goes out of his way to tell the readers, hey, hey, this isn't what happens to other superheroes. <laughs> Maybe that little as, speech as, as at, the end of, at the end of 22. <laughs> I want to go with riding for at least 10 hours in the equipment van with the Goblin and the Enforcers to go shoot film in Mexico. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I'm going to say the mechanics of his relationship with Betty Brandt, where it's not okay for him to talk to Dory Evans or get his hair touched by Liz Allen, but it's perfectly fine for her to date Ned Leeds, open, not only openly with him, but to have her discuss with both of them within earshot what night she's going to date each of them. I, I don't have to agree because that's both stuff. <laughs> it, 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 to, to the point where at the end of issue 19, it's like, oh, can you see me tonight? No, I'm seeing Ned tonight. Oh, okay. Oh, hi, Ned. Hi. You two have fun tonight. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow night, Betty. It's, a, it's, <sighs> it's like a harem. Yeah, and, and and it's perfectly okay, which would be fine, except Peter does not get the same treatment. The double standard. Well, yeah, and like you say, it's not only that. I mean, Peter literally doesn't even—he doesn't even date women or other women. He, like, but if he interacts with them, Betty will like 
have a you know Betty will have a nervous breakdown and a complete psychotic break and just crumble and it's ridiculous. And finally, let's talk best and worst new villains. Our selection includes. Well, I guess we could put Blackie Gaxton down if we wanted, though we won't see him again. But there are Mysterio, the Green Goblin, maybe the Hulk, if you want to include him as a villain, because they do fight a lot over the history. Craven, Ringmaster, and the various circus members were new to Spidey, though not new to Marvel. Same with Egghead. Scorpion, the Beetle, and, oh, Princess Python and the Great Gambanos, who were new to Marvel when they showed up in Spider-Man. So if you were to pick a best and worst new villain from the list, who would you pick? Best, best Green news. Goblin. Without a doubt. Worst... Uh, probably the Circus of Crime because they're a bunch of they're a bunch of tools. Can you consider them new villains because they're from Hulk? Well, I, I mean, I, I put them on the list because they were new to Spidey, even though they weren't new to Marvel. But some of his crowd were new to were new because the there were some people who had their first appearances in Spider-Man. So then let's say Circus of Crime, yeah. I know the answer is obvious, always obvious for the Green Goblin, but um, the Scorpion was really really cool, and uh, his strength and his power level compared to Spider-Man, I. I dug him a lot. Uh, not so much now, of course, but, you know, Ditko Scorpion. Uh, my least favorite, just based on his first issue, I might almost say the Green Goblin, because that first plot was really just <laughs> silly. Would oh, you like to practice our fight scenes together? <laughs> but of that. them all, I have to say that... Something's I, wrong. Those actors dressed as the Enforcers look like the real Enforcers. Hmm... <laughs> But Egghead wins as the least competent. I don't know how many more times he and Spidey will ever face each other. I think it's exactly one more time. There's an issue of Marvel. Exactly. Marvel feature. But, exactly. But there you go. So we may do like team-ups in future years in review, but this year the only team-ups we had were Daredevil and the Torch, and those are both pretty awesome, so I'm just going to let those sit. And that brings us to the end of another spectacular episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. I want to thank you very much for listening. Next episode, we will be covering issue 23. As I said at the beginning of this one, we recorded three issues that night, and we thought we'd put them all in one, but it just got a bit long. So we're going to do all the emails that we've gotten over the last few weeks and issue 23 in our next episode. So we look forward to seeing you there. I want to remind you again of the redesign of the website over at AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. And, you know, I've often said that that's spelled L-I-B as in library. I was talking to a friend recently who said, you know, John, that doesn't stand for library. And as soon as he said that, the little guy in my head went to the filing cabinet and pulled out a picture of the Libsyn.com homepage and there in, you know, big, bold, sans-serif font, it says, Liberated Syndication. And so I don't know why I've been saying library. It's L-I-B as in liberated. S-Y-N as in syndication. So, um, I guess chalk it up to my normal silliness there. Anyways, AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com does have a new look that has been going for about a week and a half now. That is done by visual designer, and my brother, Jim Wilson. If you like what you see there and you want to go and take some look at his other work, he is at jimwilsondesigns.com. You can leave comments on the Libsyn page, or if you want to send in a message to be read on the air, you can do so at AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave reviews on iTunes where you can subscribe to the show, let the world know how you feel there, and we do have a new fan page going on Facebook. 
If you search for Amazing Spider-Man Classics on Facebook, there is a fan page there where you can get uh, notifications of new episodes going live, occasional scanned silliness from issues, and other things that I and my cohorts deem of note. And I guess that about wraps it up for this week. Thank you again for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Thank you, ma'am. This is all cameo by the waitress again. I uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on. This <laughs> okay, uh-huh. yeah. Th- th- this waitress keeps on coming back, and she's very confused over if I'm talking to like you guys or her. Oh, she's she the exact same woman. No. Oh. oh what the, the, the one last time generally like stayed away because because she could tell that I was kind of busy. So. Excuse me. Can I have a refill, please? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for nothing. Thank you. Uh, no, 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 no. There, 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 there's still one on there. No, I was pushing it out of the way. Thank you. Okay. Oh, hold, on, hold, 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 hold on a second. Oh, so, so you're off for the night? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for helping me and have a good night. You're welcome. You have a good night, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really my, my, my waitress is leaving, and she wanted to tell me that she was leaving, and did that you, she was transferring me to another waitress. Did you pay her money? Did no. You your favorite moment? Uh, so far, so good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, she, she came over and told me. Okay, hey, thanks. I'll holler if I need anything. Wow, the waitresses here are, are, are all really friendly tonight. That's because you're a hot-smoking piece of ass there, Josh. Sex. Donovan Grant. Hiya, hiya. And Joshua Bertoni. Hey. And or Mr. Bertoni. Or Mr. Bertoni, as you know. Yeah, no, too, 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 too late, too late. <laughs> <laughs> <Missed the gag. laughs> too late. Okay, moving on. <laughs>